This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Tuesday to you. It is August 23rd, Ride the Wind Day. Ooh. That's some serious wind to ride. We've got a great show for you today. We will be talking about social media and presidential candidates. They're, they use it a lot. And everyone's convinced that Donald Trump is the most negative user of social media. You know what we need to play today? What? Social media song. Uh, let's do it. Okay. I'll, I'll have to find it. It's one of the greatest songs of all time, uh, debuted at the social media conference of like 2010, Something like that, yeah. 12. It is the greatest song. Oh, it's, and it's even, it's like, it was customized to the social media conference. Anyway, we will get to that. We've got a great show. We'll be speaking on social media. Uh, also, we've got to cover a lot of the headlines. Hillary Clinton was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. We'll get to that. She cleared up some of her health rumors. Well, not really. No, they're all fixed. They're done. Uh she thinks it's a wacky strategy. We'll get to that. Is it really a wacky strategy? Plus, we'll fill you in on just the latest and greatest of um, of some of Donald Trump's comments about uh, immigration. Mm. He's clarifying some points there. Mm, still going really. to build the wall, apparently. There's not really a lot of clarification. It's he, still just sort of a general overview. He was trying to soften, it sounds like, his immigration stance. His people are rumored to be talking about it. They're in Trump Tower. There's meetings. They're trying to help him keep his original kind of core idea, but soften it enough that people who are undecided would actually vote for him. Okay, so we're still going to throw the bums out. But in a nice way. But in a nice way. Maybe in a chartered bus. That's horrible. Holy cow. Okay. So we'll get to that, of course. Plus, Donald had a lot of um, campaign rallies set up across the West that he's pulling back on. Really? Oregon. He's not going to Oregon anymore. Hmm. He'll still go to raise money, but not going to hold big meetings. And many are saying, is it possibly because he's losing in Oregon? He's losing in Colorado. He's losing in Nevada. Is he pulling out of some of these states? allocating his resources somewhere else. We'll find out. We'll get to all of that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? Donald Trump continued to attempt to reach out to African-American voters specifically during a rally in Akron, Ohio, on Monday night. Riffing on his prepared remarks, he said, I'll straighten it out. You can walk down the street without getting shot. Now you walk down the street, you get shot. Trump also employed a recent line he's been using to help him get above around the around 1% he's been polling among black voters. What do you have to lose? Give me a chance, he said. The FBI found its tens of thousands of previously undisclosed emails in its year-long investigation into Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. The Justice Department confirmed that number to the Washington Post after it released it was released by a conservative legal group. The State Department will release them starting in October, just a few weeks before the general election. In his July announcement of the FBI's findings and decisions decisions not to charge Clinton, FBI Director James Comey said there was no evidence that the emails were, quote, intentionally deleted in an effort to conceal them. 
A majority of professional business economists polled said they believe Hillary Clinton would be best choice to oversee the U.S. economy as president, according to a new survey from the National Association of Business Economics. 55 percent polled believe Hillary Clinton would be best would best handle the economy. Libertarian Party nominee Gary Johnson came in second with 15 percent and only 14 percent favor Trump. And finally, a Canadian drone enthusiast Mm. mm -hmm, demonstrated his drone fishing technique by using his quadcopter to catch a large smallmouth bass. Oh, you're going to want to listen to this, Terry. It's good. Okay. Truthfully, I did not expect anything to happen because I had only tried a few times before and it just sputtered around until my battery went dead. But this time, not only did I succeed, but I hooked the biggest smallmouth bass of my life, the man wrote. Wow. Mm -hmm. With his quadcopter. With his quadcopter. After I hooked it and managed to land it, I ran to my wife for a quick photo op and then ran (laughs) it back to the water to release it, he wrote. Catch and release. Catch and release. It was a uh... (laughs) 20-mile... He's dragging it across the water. (laughs) So it was a huge bass he pulled out with a quadcopter. Yeah. Man. Pretty amazing, right? What's going to be next? Thanks, Sadie. Uh, I think Batman had a quadcopter, didn't he, Terry? Probably. He's had many different flying machines. Isn't that how he caught Robin? Could be. (laughs) Robin was floating on a dinghy in the middle of the lake. No. Robin, his parents were um, acrobats in the circus, and they died. Tragically. You're kidding me. He was part of an acrobat family. The flying, the flying Graysons. No, you're kidding. No, I'm really? serious. And his family died. Is that where he got his tights? Yeah. And then Batman was able to bring him in as, you know, he was like a ward of the state. And yeah. so Batman brought him in and eventually adopted him. And then for some reason decided to take a juvenile and make him his team and teammate in fighting crime. Awkward. Is, you'd think that'd be well, a bad it's choice. Not, it's not just any teenager. It's an acrobatic. Yeah, he has some special phenom. set of skills. Wait, but. now, was that according to the comics or just according to the, the movie Batman Forever with Val Kilmer and Jim Carrey? No, they depicted that poorly in the movie. But, yeah, that's actually how it happened. But since then, there's been like four, like I three or Batman four different was, ones. I thought Robin was Batman's child. That came later. Okay. See, because... That's your nerd update. Never mind. It just gets so intertwined and you'll just make fun of me. So no, I won't. Yeah, you will. No, really. It's okay. Moving on. He fell into a nerd trap. <laughs> The the blasted nerd trap. So uh, Hillary Clinton, she's alive. Yes. I mean, everyone's like, where's she been all weekend? Jimmy Kimmel. According to uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you, in fact, you got to hear this. She's not quite sure why everyone's talking about her health. Speaking of rumors that have gotten started, yes. there's now the new one is that you you are unhealthy, that you uh, you had a concussion. Right. That Rudy Giuliani was on Fox News yesterday and today, and he's saying you look, you seem to be sick, you look tired, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Are you in good health? Well, this has become one of their themes. Here, you take my take my pulse while I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, so. Uh, wow. Sure, I'm alive. Oh my God, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in October, the National Enquirer said I would be dead in six months. Oh wow! Oh, boy. so with every breath I take, I feel like it's a you have a new lease on life. Yeah, a new lease on life. Uh, well, um, it's and funny, I don't you know. know. I don't know why they are saying this. I think, on the one hand, it's part of the wacky strategy. Uh-huh. Uh, just say all wacky. these crazy things, and maybe you can get some people to believe you. 
Um, on the other hand, it just absolutely makes no sense. And I, I don't go around questioning Donald Trump's health. Says who? Says who? Says who? She doesn't know. She doesn't question Donald Trump's health. She just questions his sanity, his mental stability, his, you know. And she and he's questioning hers. His ability. His Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, I don't think you should ever tell a comedian to take your pulse. It's interesting to go back and look at the headlines from 2012 when yeah. Romney and Obama were burning and to see what they were discussing, like tax plans mm-hmm. and different economic issues and they didn't talk about each other's health. No, no, they weren't going after sanity. They weren't trying to yeah. cause each, you know, say there's like a neurological problem or something. Right. It was just you know politics. It was kind of boring. Did anybody try to pull this when John McCain was running? Yes, yeah, they did. His health, and yet he still lives. Does he? We'll oh, see. We'll see. He? We'll see if he survives Arizona. Isn't that funny? But they throw it out there, and it, like uh, Giuliani said, just look it up. Right. Google and the Hillary video, Clinton's illness. And the videos you find are from Breitbart. Yeah, and, and other conservative which, sites. And other conservative sites. So you end up kind of in this echo chamber instead of coming up with in, you know, with actual information, yeah. I guess. She, she's, she's alive. She really hasn't, I guess, had a press conference for 240 days or something. Something like that, yeah. This is one of the first times people have actually asked her questions yeah. and she's answered like, This is fantastic. And, and it's, it's Jimmy Kimmel. And it's live. Like, what's the worst that could happen? She is talking about um, her debate prep. How do you prepare for a debate with Donald Trump? I'm here to ask for your help. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a lot of his debates during the primaries, and he insulted all of his opponents. He insulted all of the moderators. He insulted, I guess, about 80% of the American people and the rest of the world. And so how do you prepare for that? I think, on the one hand... It's a serious chance for Americans to tune in and if they haven't made up their minds to try to make up their minds. So I want to take it seriously. I want to talk about what I think we can do and, and how important it is. But you've got to be prepared for like wacky stuff that comes at you. And I, I am drawing on my experience in elementary school. <laughs> wow. Yesterday in the uh, New York Daily News, they're reporting that the Hillary Clinton team having trouble finding someone angry enough to play <laughs> Donald Trump during debate prep. Really? they have to have someone go over the top so she can prepare for yeah. anything. So they need to go to these extremes. And, you know, whoever's going to come and help them with the campaign is probably someone that's maybe a supporter. You yeah, know, you wants to help so. out. Right. And then you have to walk in there and just lay all this stuff out there. Hmm. You know, all the Whitewater stuff, the yeah. Lewinsky stuff. I mean, imagine like you're the one bringing that all up with her. And just look at her and basically do whatever you can to, to, to be nasty. And it's not just Donald Trump level. It's beyond that because you have to prepare for everything. And well, what's uh, funny, though, is wants to do that it. person would probably be more prepared than Donald Trump. Possibly. As far as reading and preparing. And that you also don't want to offend the candidate. No. If you're looking to be part of the, the you know, her, whatever her future may be, <laughs> you just sit there, you know, and then she has this mental image of you bringing all this negativity from her past yeah. up. And, yeah. Holy cow. Well, somebody volunteer. And do they have to, they don't have to dress like Donald though, right? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, this brings up a good point. Maybe this should be the next tactic of conservatives 
you know, instead of questioning her health, maybe they should just put in a Hillary double. Ooh. You know, like that movie uh, Dave with Kevin Klein and yeah, Sigourney. The, yeah, I think it was based a on a true story. Really? I think there was a president who was able to fool the American people into thinking that it was really him, but it was a double. Was it? Wasn't it based on a true story? I think story? it was Bill Clinton, and he'd always try to sneak out to go get hamburgers at McDonald's. Hmm. That guy. He's wacky. Yeah. He's one wacky dude. What about uh, Donald, though? Donald, um, he's he's been busy. He had a big, uh, what do we call it, um, an event talking about. It was a rally. A rally. It's where he stands in a big room and. <laughs> gets rallied. Just speaks off the cuff. Uh, he's still, though, no matter how soft he's trying to come off on immigration, he, he still supports mass deportation. I have very, very good relationships with a lot of people, a lot of Hispanic people. We're talking about it. We're going to get rid of the bad ones. The bad ones are going to be out of here fast. And you know there are plenty of bad ones, gang members, gang leaders. Sure, sure. You look at Los Angeles, you see what's happening. They're going out fast. They're going to be out of here so fast your head will spin. As far as the rest, we're going to go through the process like they are now, perhaps with a lot more energy. And we're going to do it only through the system of laws. Okay. Okay, I need the bad Hispanics to the right. That was the good on Hispanics to the left. Bill O'Reilly. Okay. He asked him about is will there be uh, like deportation centers? Oh. And Trump goes, "Oh, you're the first one ever to bring that up. That's not something we've ever talked about. We're not." And he goes, so, "Okay, you're talking about the mass like rounding up of humans, right? right. How are you going to do this? Are you are you going to do it through court? The court system is how they do it now. So you're going to have to hire more federal judges. Are you going to?" And he's like, "Oh no, well." That still has to be determined. And so a lot of the things still haven't been flushed out. There's no plan. He just keeps talking about deporting and Mm. we're going to build a wall and we're going to do these things. But there's no actual plan as to how this is going to happen. Wow. And so we're getting down now to these debates. And so Hillary Clinton and the moderators are going to bring this up because he's been talking about it. So the Trump campaign is trying to come up with some talking points. Yeah, they're going to need to know what they're doing. they also know that the talking points aren't really popular and they need to bring in more people who are undecided. Mm. And so they have to kind of soften it a little bit without actually changing it, I guess. And maybe Trump softens on this or maybe he continues to want to deport 11 million people. Maybe the undocumented immigrants won't be the only one Donald, uh, you know, wants to deport. It might also be Hillary Clinton. The amounts involved... The favors done and the significant number of times it was done require an expedited investigation by a special prosecutor immediately, immediately, immediately. After the FBI or Department of Justice whitewashed Hillary Clinton's email crimes, they certainly cannot be trusted to quickly or impartially investigate Hillary Clinton's new crimes, which happened all the time. The Justice Department is required to appoint an independent special prosecutor because it has proven itself to be really, sadly, a political arm of the White House. Hmm. They need an independent prosecutor to evaluate and investigate. Whether Trump wins or loses. No matter what happens. Hillary Clinton, if she gets in the White House, this will be her at least first couple years, is there will be all kinds of of calls for investigations, all kinds of fights with every single thing she does because this email keeps coming out. They're going to release more of the FBI. 15,000 emails. In what, October? Mm -hmm. So a month out from the election, all this is going to come out? 
And Man. again, though, these are emails that the FBI already had been through when uh, Mr. Comey decided that she didn't need to be charged with any or indicted with anything. So yeah. apparently they're fairly clean, but they are she, – she remember – they say that she only really released about 50% of her emails. Mm-hmm. The other 50% she erased or got rid of, and these are 15,000 of those. That they found. Yeah. Because you can't really erase things. No. No, you can't. No. Believe me. You can, do it, you can do it if you light it on fire, but yeah. she didn't go that far. Except I, I, I erased a paper yesterday that I was writing that I couldn't find. And apparently it's gone forever unless the FBI come find it. We, uh, we're going to now take it to social media. Which candidate is using social media to their advantage, and how are the candidates using social media? Are they using it to talk about their positions, their policies, or really just to beat each other up? Stick with us. We'll be talking social media and the presidential candidates. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. The great social media song of all times. Celebrated at the social media conference. (laughs) I don't know how we found that song, but boy, it makes your toe tap, doesn't it? Hey, uh, with memorable terms such as crooked Hillary and delete your account from the infamous Trump clitter Twitter war from earlier this summer, it is obvious that the presidential candidates are turning to social media to reflect on issues that they believe affect the country. Gone are the days of campaign managers meticulously running a traditional campaign with call centers, pamphlets, commercials, ads, right? But with the increasing amount of Americans turning to the Internet and using social media, our presidential campaigns are utilizing more Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Here to talk to us about uh, this new use of social media for political purposes is Ph.D. Jenny Stromer-Galley, a professor at uh, Syracuse University in upstate New York. Dr. Stromer-Galley, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Matt. Thanks. I'm happy to talk with you. What a fun um, topic. We found your article on the conversation and dot uh, com. I, I love this because we get a lot of our information for the show from social media, but apparently um, there's just a lot we don't know about how they're using it. How, how are you seeing the presidential election this year differing via social media than other elections? Wow, that's a great question. Um, differences. Well, so this election cycle, um, because Donald Trump is such an <laughs> unconventional candidate, yeah. um, makes the, the sort of what we expect candidates to do on social media um, more complicated this time around. What we saw with the uh, other primary candidates from the Republican Party and from the Democratic candidates is that, um, you know, they're continuing to tune and hone and, you know, um, finesse what they've already learned about how to use social media from past elections. So in terms of innovations or, I don't know, radical changes in how campaigns, barring Trump, um, (laughs) are using social media, we're not seeing a lot of of new or novel. The one thing that is important to keep in mind is just how widespread, uh, especially Facebook now is, right? So 75% of Americans who have access to the Internet are now using Facebook. Wow. 
And so for candidates, um, Facebook's like television. It's a really important channel to be communicating with their supporters. And the hope is that with that communication happening, their supporters will then share and talk about and get their friends and family members and coworkers to also get involved with the campaign. So that kind of viral spread, the you know, social network becomes really, really important for campaigns, and that's why they like it so much. So roughly 87 to 90 percent of Americans are on the Internet, I guess, with about 75 percent using Facebook. It's interesting that only 20 percent are using Twitter, but in the uh, in the media class and the media world, it seems to be where I get most of my information. Absolutely. Twitter is king. If you're working in the news media, if you are um, somebody who watches a lot of news, consumes a lot of news, Twitter is where you want to be. And um, you're quite right. Um, the the news environment, the ecosystem, the information system that we live in today, even if you pay no attention to Twitter, Twitter is still having some influence on the kind of information that you're seeing. So and yet you know, it's only for the junkies, I guess, right? Because the, <laughs> only 20% go there. The rest are just, I guess, getting uh, something on Facebook maybe from their aunt Julie, who's got a favorite candidate. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a good way to think about it. Wow. And it's... It's it's such a strange way, I guess. To but I guess it's in a way, it's a great um, political ad because it, it's from somebody I know promoting somebody they like. Yes, that's the power, right? So the research on um, TV advertising is how do I put it? It's we've not been able to isolate strong effects from television advertising ever. So in the long history of TV ads, as much money as campaigns and brands and organizations spend on TV ads, it still doesn't have the same kind of effect as when, as you said, you know, Aunt Julie sends you a message that says, hey, check out this candidate. Mm. That's somebody that I'm really passionate about, and you should be too. That has just powerful sway. You pay more attention. You might actually look at candidate jingle or, yeah. you know, that used car ad. You know, you're, you're just not going to pay as much attention. It's saturation. So what works with TV ads is just the constant exposure over and over again. The repeat messaging um, is what tends to have some kind of effect. But, but we do have validated funny. evidence, I guess, saying that if it comes via social media, it's more impactful. Well, that's the, that's the, the, the limited work we've got so far suggests that that's um, that's the case, that well, there's more impact. Can it be negative as well? Because a lot of what I end up seeing are um, the embarrassing things about the candidates that get spread as well, kind of the, the funny memes or the funny gifts or, or, you know, stories. Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, the the funny memes, the gaffes, the, the crazy things that candidates do, or that you know, people who don't like the candidate. So you get these fantastic memes um, that are generated or cartoons or funny pictures or animated GIFs of the candidates doing silly things that spread virally. That also, you're absolutely right, has potentially a, a pretty substantial negative effect. In fact, that's one of the things that campaigns really struggle with. Um, you know, as we moved from the mass media era where candidates were buying TV ads, they were very carefully constructing the message and the image that they wanted to have in those TV ads, that, that careful construction of image and message gets very complicated in the social media environment because you have so many more voices 
that you that campaigns can't control. Mm. And so while campaigns um, see the benefit of using social media, of trying to reach supporters and friends of supporters through those social networks, there's also exactly what you've said, that risk that things that they've said or even things they didn't say but that supporters or opponents construct about them, that then spreads and then they have to counter it. And it's a constant challenge and struggle for campaigns to negotiate. Wow, yeah. And I guess even just to make sure they're capturing what's being said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even knowing, right? So constantly listening and monitoring the different communication channels, so Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, YouTube videos, all of that has to be carefully watched so they know what's happening out there so they can try to respond if they think it's appropriate. So what's the downside? It seems like there's there's a lot of potential upside, and one downside is trying to you know, combat it all. But what what's the problem for me as just as an average voter, if all I do is get my information from my social network, it, it seems like there's some problems with that. <laughs> I'm not going to be informed. Well, I don't know. Deeply. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's a really important question, something that researchers are working really hard to try to understand. There is research that suggests that, you know, there's been a lot of concern that the public is getting less information, less news, because we're no longer buying newspapers. Um, we're not consuming um, routine news, although broadcasting, interestingly, people are still watching broadcast news. People mm. do still watch their local news um, of a certain demographic, especially, I, I won't guess, um, Matt, what your age is, but in yeah. my age demographic, um, you know, we're still watching local news. My students um, are less likely to be watching broadcast news, ah, um, and they're yeah. much less likely to be following or going actively to news sources. But there's research that suggests that people are still getting exposed to a fair amount of news and content about current events by checking in on Facebook or Instagram mm. or Twitter. And so there is, you know, interestingly, there is still a lot of current event and political information circulating out there. It's just not circulating in the same sort of way. And we're still trying to get a handle on that because you know, on Facebook, for example, you're primarily friends with people who are like you and share right. similar interests generally. So one challenge is that you might then really get information that reinforces or supports your perspectives, and you're not necessarily seeing information that comes from other perspectives, um, people coming from you know, kind of the opposite end of the political spectrum, and you might get less news or events of things that are happening out there in the world, but that you and your friends just aren't thinking about or caring about. Yeah. No, I've heard that. I mean, I've even heard people turn off certain people in their feed because they're too political. Right. But that usually, that seems like code for not my type of politics. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually a really nice uh, couple of studies that have come out recently looking at um, uh, people unfriending. Yeah. Others who they get into fights with on Facebook <laughs> who have political differences. You know, the, the thing is, for a healthy democracy, we need to be exposed to different perspectives. We, as uncomfortable and as yucky as it feels to be confronted with ideologically different perspectives, for us to continue to be a unified and synthesized country with all of our differences and all the different perspectives that we have, 
we need to know about them. We need to understand them. And so that's, I think, one of the challenges we face um, in the country right now is how we ensure that we continue to be exposed to those differences and respect them, even if you don't agree with them. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Jenny stromer Galley from um, the University of... Syracuse, <laughs> Syracuse University. I was, I was thinking Annenberg School of Communication, the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, that's yeah, where you that's went to school, future. though, huh, Jenny? That's right, that's right. And now you're all grown up and <laughs> studying social media at Syracuse University. We'll take a break. When we come back, continue the discussion. I want to find out about Trump. And, um, you know, I always just imagine he's sitting in some silky robe tweeting all night. <laughs> but apparently uh, he's, he also may not be as negative as we all think. According to the studies, Uh, stick with us, folks. Interesting insights from um, the professionals that are studying it day in and day out. More with Dr. Jenny Stromer-Galley. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about uh, the presidential race and their use, uh, those candidates' use of social media and the impact it's having on the election. And really more of the details, how they're using it. Is it a positive thing? Are they using it to just beat each other up? Joining us from Syracuse University in the School of Information Studies is the Associate, Associate Professor Jennifer Stromer Galley. She has uh, been studying this extensively, and uh, we're honored to have you on. Dr. Stromer Galley, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. How fun is this topic? I mean, you've been doing <laughs> this before social media had ever been called social media. Yes, I have been studying how political campaigns use digital technology since 1996. Wow. <laughs> I you, know. You were an early adopter. So there you go. back in the AOL days. That's right, exactly. <laughs> you and uh you and um the one Hillary Clinton is trying to blame her whole problem on Colin Powell. Oh, I thought you were going to say Al Gore. Oh, and Al Gore. That's true. <laughs> he invented the internet. I know. We ought to ask you, did he really invent the internet or what? Oh, for Al. Yeah. I know. We get it, Jenny. Yeah. Um, talk to us about the uh, the candidates, because Donald Trump yeah. seems to be known for being kind of a, what do you want to call it, uh, a hitman when it comes to Twitter. <laughs> a lot of talk about how negative he's been, but some of the research you're finding is is maybe that it's not all negative. That's right. Yeah. So let me just say a few things about um, how we come to the conclusions, and I'll talk a little bit about what we found. So we have been, and it's not just me, there's a big team of us, um, we've been collecting all of the social media messages, so Facebook messages and Twitter messages from the candidates since they announced their candidacies. So we filled up 10 servers of social media messages so far. And we have been uh, tagging or or characterizing or categorizing the candidates' messages on a set of categories around um, if they're talking about image, which image is basically, you know, I'll be the, I'm a great businessman, or if Hillary Clinton 
I'm channeling Trump there. Yeah. <laughs> um, or Clinton, you know, talking about her past experience as Secretary of State, or when she talks about being a grandmother. Those are image construction kinds of messages. Um, issue messages are those that talk about policy. So when Trump says he's going to build a wall, uh, that's a tr- that is a policy statement. Um, and then looking at attack and advocacy. So if they're attacking opponents or if they're advocating for themselves and their positions, uh, whether it's issue or image, that's um, some of the categories. We'll also look at, because social media uh, is great for mobilizing supporters, uh, we pay attention to calls to action. So basically those messages that urge people to tune in and watch or give money or come to a rally, those kinds of things. Mm. And so, um, so we've, we've categorized those messages and we use uh, computational approaches. So we've built algorithms to automatically tag the messages. So humans initially are part of the process of, of identifying um, the right category for a message. And then we use computer software to train an algorithm to identify what the patterns are. So for attack messages, there are certain features that go into attack messages, the structure of the sentence, the kinds of words. And so these um, algorithms then can identify those patterns and then uh, accurately tag them based on that. So our, we're pretty accurate. We're actually, our algorithms are more effective than humans or more accurate at humans hmm. um, at tagging. So that's, that's been a, um, that in of itself. Well, wow, that's huge. huge. And I'm pretty excited about so that So then part. can you use that same algorithm every year and just, you just have to put the data into your system and then you can use the same algorithm? Um, that's a really, really important question. Yes and no. So we can use it as a base. So we actually started this project back in 2014 looking at the governor's elections um, during that year. And so that was our basis. And we did start that analysis process with that data and then took all this presidential data that we've been collecting. We had to do some tweaking and tuning um, because candidates at the governor's level do things a bit differently. <laughs> they play than different. Candidates at right. the presidential level. Yeah. So we have to account for that. But yes, I mean, the idea is that we might continue this project into the future. That's great. So anyway, sorry. So no. for your audience members who are geeks, we, we, cool. no, that's good. Now we got. We'll wake them all up. What was the? Um, what, <laughs> so what do we know? What did we know about? Yeah. And when, well, especially Trump and Clinton. Yeah. Right. So you know, I think Trump is, and I think to some degrees, rightly so, has a reputation of being negative on social media, and when you look at the style of his messages on Twitter, he does. Um, produce uh, a lot of what I would call ad hominem attacks. So, mm. you know, when you, when you um, belittle or attach names um, to candidates, like, you know, Marco Rubio was choker Marco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marco Cho- I forget how that phrase went. It was such an odd one. Um, or, you know, um, uh, Lion Ted, or now we've got Crooked Hillary. Yeah. So those kinds of, of outright um, attacks on character are something that we routinely see. But overall, so anecdotally, like message to message, what you tend to look at and see in Trump's messages is a lot of negativity. But what I like about this project, um, and this is kind of the power of big data, is that when you look across all of the messages by Clinton and by Trump, actually Clinton is more negative. She attacks more, substantially more. Really? Yeah, than Trump does. And I guess she just doesn't name call. She doesn't name call. And so, and I think, you know, our brains are wired to pay attention to certain kinds of negativity. Yeah, that's a big threat, right? That's right. And so when you see those name calling moves by Trump, you, you pay attention to it. And that's, that's some of Trump's 
um, style. It's some of actually, I think, why he's been remarkably successful because he's very good at attention getting. Mm -hmm. But across all of those messages, Clinton is on the attack substantially more. Wow. Who's who's more who's who's producing more policy statements via social media? So that's another really important question. On the whole, Clinton and actually the Democrats, um, we looked at Sanders and Clinton as kind of the front runners or the main runners for the Democratic Party. And then we looked at the front runners for the Republicans. So we looked at Rubio, Cruz, um, Trump and Kasich. And across the board, the Democrats talk more on policy in social media than Mm. the Democrats do. Uh, Sorry, what I just do. Hold on. The Democrats talk more policy than the Republicans do. Right. And that's interesting, right? Well, I mean, maybe it's not uh, because uh, the Republicans also talk more on radio. Uh, (laughs) So it makes you wonder if it's not just spreading more of the same hype but less policy. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting observation. Um, The the style of talk on especially some political talk radio is – fairly sensationalized. There's not necessarily deep policy discussion happening there. Right. Um, but I don't know. You know, mm. it, I, I can't say what the kind of what's going on there. I mean, generally when you have very competitive elections, which the Republicans definitely had, um, you tend to see, you know, a lot of jostling happening by the candidates to try to differentiate themselves from their opponents. Right. And often, so that differentiation happens on two dimensions. One is the policy dimension. So what's the unique policy angle that the candidate's going to take to say, I'm not like my other Republican opponents? Because they're all Republicans. In theory, they all generally share the same orientation and worldview. Right. And so how do you separate yourself in that pack when you all generally share the same views? So policy is one dimension and character is the other. Um, But I think, you know, some of it, I think somebody could come back to me and say, look, Jenny, why would you expect there to be any policy discussion on social media? I mean, it's 140 characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really short messages. Of course, they're mostly talking about you know, their image and character because that's easy and that's quick. But remember, going back to our conversation before, um, people are getting their news and information increasingly in this social mm-hmm. media environment. These messages from the candidates to some degree set the agenda about what the news media covers about the candidates. So, for example, right, both candidates were talking on their economic plans here very recently, right. and that drove the news agenda. And so the same happens on social media. So when the candidates start to push a particular issue, then that drives the news agenda, and journalists start to dig into policy positions, and they start to report then on what the kind of profile is for the candidate. So that issue talk still really matters. So even if a candidate is only in 140 characters talking about their economic plan and then maybe providing a link back to their website, that's important work to be done for us as voters to make it a Right. Is there is there a difference between the volume? Who has more social media reach? Have, did you measure that just overall? Absolutely. So volume, again, this is why Trump is such a complicating figure <laughs> this election cycle, right? So he was the great top- anomaly. Well, I mean, you know, he was a celebrity coming yeah. into this election cycle. He already had a massive following. And so, uh, you know, very few political candidates get that kind of exposure and followership 
um, in their candidacies. And so Trump, we actually um, we have a, a project website, Illuminating 2016, and if you go there, you can actually see like the top tweets and the top Facebook mm. messages from the candidates. We actually had to go into <laughs> we had to normalize the data. By that I mean we had to factor in the number of followers. Uh, Clinton and Trump have. Otherwise, Clinton will never appear as being a top, um, as, as having the top really? followership on any particular message. Because Trump is just so much more visible, so many, many more followers. Yeah. So he's got much more substantial reach. Is um, who, which, which uh, party do you sense plays the social media the best to their advantage? I mean, Trump aside, anomaly aside, we always heard in the other election, 2012 election and I guess 2008 election about the power of President Obama's, you know, reach via social media. Yes, right. So the Democrats have had the upper hand in the digital media world for basically following 2004 and into 2008, 2012. Um, the the Democrats just had a spectacular advantage over the Republicans. Um, and some of that is because of the databases of supporters that Obama built up in 2008 that he then was able to carry forward in 2012. Mm. Um, as well, a lot of the campaign staff who worked on Howard Dean's campaign in 2004 and learned a lot of the lessons, both mistakes and opportunities, then um, actually moved on to work on the Obama campaign. And then many of those guys continued and gals continued on in 2012. And so you, you build up then over three election cycles a deep well of experience and knowledge. It doesn't hurt. Obama's campaign raised so much money. And remember in 2008, poor John McCain, uh, you know, this is one of those really um, – interesting challenges, again, for our democracy is the role of money. And McCain, who had been a very strong advocate for um, restricting and um, controlling the amount of money that comes into campaigns, um, took public financing, which restricted the amount of money he could spend in that election cycle, and Obama opted out. That's right. And so the, the, and Obama was raising money hand over fist, so they could do experimenting on um, social media in ways that no prior campaign had been able to do. And those experiments then led them to tune and um, sort of finesse what works and what doesn't in social media. Because part of the power of social is micro-targeting, building up databases of people who have particular interests or have been involved in particular kinds of activities around the campaign that you can then kind of re-energize or activate again. So if you've ever gone to a campaign website and given your email address to follow a candidate, you're now on that database. Those databases are now really powerful potential uh, sources for campaigns to try to activate. And for targeting, I guess, too, huh? Yeah, and fundraising, exactly. Wow, powerful. Uh, Jenny, we've got to go, but as as we leave... Give us about a 20-second piece of advice. What should we do to make sure we're maximizing our digital you know, media use as we're looking at the election? Just the average citizen. Yeah, don't unfriend those people who irritate you <laughs> <laughs> politically. Um, work hard, reach out, read the news articles, uh, look past the sound bites and try to dig in and read a bit more of the background of the policy positions of the candidates. That way you will be better informed to try to make a decision that's actually in your interest mm. as a voter. Love it. Dr. Jenny stromer Galley. thank you so much for your time and your insight. My pleasure, Matt. I really enjoyed this. Take this care. This was fun. Awesome insight. Wow. 
It's changing, folks. <laughs> the ability these the campaigns have to target you and to get information specifically to you to move your vote. Um, interesting stuff. Keep your minds open and, and your social media more open as well. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great, great PSA by Ron Brokaw. People praying while they're driving. Again, believe in praying, love it, think it's essential, critical part of life. Just keep your eyes on the road. That woman ran into a house praying. (sighs) I'm still a little surprised. Only seven out of ten pastors and theologians agree that you should keep your eyes open. What are the other three thinking? Maybe they're thinking it's okay as long as you're praying for safety while you're driving. Yeah, maybe their, their God will still lead them home. The problem is which home? Which home? Your heavenly home? Crazy stuff, but great advice, of course, as we're trying to always do on the show. Give you the information you need. Please, drive with your eyes open. If you need to pray, pray at home. If you need to pray, pull over and pray. Just don't. Pray while driving with your eyes closed and your arms folded and no hands on the steering wheel. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we'll be talking about dieting. Is it really all that good for your health or is it making you fat? Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the program. If you missed the first hour all about social media and the presidential race, you're going to want to go check that out at iTunes or tune in. Or go to BYUradio.org and you can see all of our past shows. Tons of fun for you. Today we will uh, got a great show. We're going to be talking about why diets make us fat. Speaking of tons of fun. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of 2,000 pounds of excitement. The unintended consequences of our obsession with weight loss. Dieting may be making you fat. Yes. I thought it was the food eating that would make us fat. Well, it's the way we think about dieting and the approaches we... We do to manipulate our diet that really doesn't help is kind of what the what the book's about. It messes up your body because then your body starts to think, "Hey, I better I better save all of this fat in the body because this person's not going to feed me." Or, or it's a quick fix, and within a year, it's all back. Oh yeah, or within a week. Because it's more of changing your behavior rather than we're going to do this thing for six weeks. Mm. We'll be speaking with Sandra uh, Ahmed about that and all of her insight from her book, Why Diets Make Us Fat. Today, by the way, is Ride the Wind Day. Hey, can I get a ride on the wind? A little poison for you. Oh, wow. I think it's the first time we've played Poison on yeah. BYU Radio. This was one of those bands my mom did not approve of as a ch- when I was a child. Son, you're not allowed to listen to Poison. Of course I listen. It'll but kill you. That's fine. She doesn't know. <laughs> well, she may know now. She knows now. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, today is Ride the Wind Day. Ride the Wind Day is an excellent opportunity to marvel at all things flying. Mm. Wind powers movement in uh, many ways, in different ways. So whether it's um, a drone – 
hmm. catching fish, as we just talked about last hour. Right. Or, uh, you know, a batarang flying through the wind. There's many ways to ride the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Right. We, uh, we will be getting to all of that, plus just some other insights into life and many things you'll probably never want to know. But will still be essential to living. I think living. you may want to know them for the moment we speak of them, but then you won't care after we're done talking about them. Yeah, you won't believe. Like, really? It's for- it's the equivalent of going, huh? And then you just go on with your day. Have you ever heard of an armed robbery? Yes. That would be somebody armed with a gun or a mm. weapon or something. Right. What about a somebody using a CPR dummy? Whoa! In a in a robbery or burglary? That's a new twist. Mm-hmm. Bad guys are innovating. I like this. They're totally innovating. (laughs) Hey, dude, put the dummy down. I meant no harm. We'll be getting to that story in a minute. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen, find out what's going on in the rest of the headlines. Sadie? During a campaign rally Monday in Ohio, Donald Trump gave a wide-ranging speech that included calling for a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton's crimes and saying people can go to war zones in countries we are fighting and it is safer than living in some of our inner cities that are run by Democrats. The Republican nominee said the Justice Department has proven itself to be a political arm of the White House. And that's why an independent special prosecutor needs to investigate Clinton's relationship to the Clinton Foundation and its donors. Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe announced Monday that almost 13,000 former felons in the state have had their right to vote restored. Restoring the rights of Virginians who have served their time and pay taxes in our communities is one of the pressing civil rights issues of our day, he said in a statement. Melania Trump is set to take legal action against the Daily Mail over an article she claims is slanderous about her personal background. The Mail and several other outlets ran a story last week raising troubling questions about Melania's visa status among upon her first meeting Donald Trump, while also alleging some scandalous details about her employment during the 1990s. According to Trump's attorney, Charles Harder, all such statements are 100% false, highly damaging to her reputation, and are personally hurtful. And finally, in Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia is urging residents to not swim in dumpsters after a rented trash (laughs) bin... (laughs) was filled with fire, hydrant water, and transformed into a pool. Oh, boy. <laughs> the party's organizers told the site they power washed the dumpster, lined the bottom with plywood and tarps, and cushioned the corners with pool noodles. However, yeah, yeah it seems Get pretty legit, right? Get out of my right? dumpster. It's a safe pool. <laughs> um, wow. But the Department of Licenses and Inspections <sighs> of Philadelphia issued a statement saying the city won't issue permits for block party dumpster pools. There you go again. Wow. Overregulation by the government. You know what? I am so sick of government putting their nose into my dumpster. So sick of it. <laughs> wow, Sadie. Thanks. Thanks for the headline. Again. That's crazy. Regulations. Um, Needless. Seriously. Meddling. When is government going to leave us alone? Don't they realize it's hot outside? We need a pool. It probably is I mean yeah. you've seen them like open fire hydrants and the mm-hmm. kids run through it that seems fun but you don't want to waste that water so catch it in a dumpster right. after you've steam cleaned the dumpster well they, they put some thought into it they didn't just yeah. empty the dumpster and fill it up I mean they're not disgusting that's that some would be disgusting half-eaten burrito floats by right. as you're trying to Are you guys gonna eat that cool burrito? off <laughs> isn't that crazy <sighs> I'm telling you when is this world going to understand? It's not 
We don't need to be told everything. Before we go on, yes, I have a new product for you. I want to see if you want to use it. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. They just dropped a limited run of extra crispy fried chicken scented sunscreen. What do you think? Uh, I think the dogs are going to be this <laughs> chasing follows, you down at the beach. This follows KFC Hong Kong, which earlier in the year, back in May, they introduced fried chicken flavored edible nail polish. Blah. You lick your you know finger licking good. Mom, these dogs will not leave me alone. So you, the idea, you slather your body parts in the KFC fried chicken scented sunscreen. Act fast because they're only making 3,000 bottles. SPF 30. <laughs> it's only available online. So You know what would be, I think, better? Actually order a bucket of chicken. And grease yourself and up with it. Just grease yourself yeah. up. It's got to have a higher SPF. Maybe it. Maybe it actually it wouldn't. It's like putting oil on your body. Maybe if you eat it, it'll just secrete from you. Mm-hmm. There's a Seinfeld episode about that, isn't there? Where he uh, rubs butter on himself yeah. and then, you know, he sits cooks. in the sun and falls asleep. Yeah, but this and then is Newman different. wants to eat him. Why would anybody want a, the scent of KFC? <laughs> I don't know. I saw that this morning. Wanted to share. How many times have you eaten at, at a? Uh, fast food restaurant and then you couldn't get the smell out of your car or something oh yeah happens like, so. come on i'll get in the car on a monday after the weekend i'm like oh what did we buy oh right oh, that's, that's evidence right. you can't hide that from your wife <laughs> hey crazy story about preteens use a cpr done dummy in peoria burglary attempt five preteens hmm. tried to use a cpr dummy to break into a south peoria convenience store According to the police reports, the children, three girls, two boys, all about the age of 10, oh, wow. were at the jackpot supermarket at 11.30 p.m. Oh, they should be in bed. That's how it works. Bedtime's Nothing like good 10, happens right? after 11. When officers arrived, the children weren't there, but the CPR dummy was. It had been used to break out the glass of a door at the store. Huh. However, several metal bars covered up the door, making the entry into the business unlikely. Where did they get the CPR dummy? Doesn't say. I don't. Probably school. These stories, they need more detail. They ought to check out the school because the school yeah. already took... The, the school's missing a dummy, so that's two breaking and entering. Oh, wow. We got a bunch of real dummies, I tell you. <laughs> Thank you, Donald. A little, uh, little commentary from the Donster. Nice. I'm telling you, when I was a kid, you'd toilet paper someone's oh, house. Yeah, sure. You know, if you were totally a rebel, you'd egg someone. Mm, yeah. We'd throw snowballs at cars back in the day. But we never stole a dummy. Can't you just see five kids each holding a leg and one in the head blocking a dummy down the street? A lot of those end up being just the torso, right? It's just a head oh, and then the like, even chest down yeah. to the waist. And you're just carrying this like half human down the street. And then you try to bash through a window of a convenience store with it. It's kind of sad. Seems like you could find some other sort of blunt object to use. Yeah. What should no. we use to break the window down? Should we use that tree limb or should we just use the, the CPR <laughs> dummy? Get the CPR dummy. They probably were like a scout troop doing CPR work. Hey, another driver, listen to this, uh, over 100-mile-an-hour police chase, mm. which those are crazy anyway. But what if, you, what if you found out that they had already posted the actual route on Facebook? Oh. These kids nowadays. Dozy Connor Lloyd, 20, went on an extremely dangerous city center race through Cambridge after police clocked him driving like a maniac just after midnight on January 17th this year. When the officers tried to pull him over, he accelerated at speeds of over 100 miles an hour in his Honda Civic hatchback. 
You have a Honda Civic. I you have a Honda, Honda Accord. Accord. M- mine could go 100. Really? If it really, you had to oh, get yeah. out and push a little bit? No, but... mine's fast. Oh, okay. Mine's peppy. You do drive pretty fast. No, I don't. You Unre- just drive unreasonable, really... unreasonable for the conditions. You drive really slow. No, I just drive the speed limit. No, I drove by you the other day. I'm like, oh my heck, look at that cute old man in that Impala. In <laughs> <laughs> that grandpa car. And then I'm like, oh, that's Terry. Oh, that's Terry. Uh, this guy sped away from cops. He drove through a string of red lights. He went wrong way on roundabouts. <laughs> he drove on the wrong side of the road, almost hit wow. another car head on. I played a game like this once. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the game. Police called off the chase for the sake of public safety yeah. uh, after around five miles. They don't do that in the game. No. They try to take you out. They'll, they'll chase you till you die. Court re- records report how police only caught Lloyd after he later posted a map of the route he used to escape on Facebook. I am the smart. S-M-R-T. I mean S-M-A-R-T. He posted uh-huh. the that, route he was going to drive. That was uh, apparently Doze, uh, Connor Lloyd. That Connor was his Lloyd. press conference right there. Nice. It was interesting what he said. He's 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 talking about how smart he is. Hmm. Can you play that again for us, Jeffrey? That was amazing. I am the smart. S-M-R-T. I mean S-M-A-R-T. <laughs> R. Good job, Connor. So a little rule if you are going to break the rules. Hmm. I probably he would have gotten away with it, just but he posted it on Facebook. Not so SMRT. That almost sounds like the end of a Scooby Doo episode. I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for these kids, these meddling kids. What do you used to call them? You had a they're always meddling. These meddling meddling meddling. kids, crazy. Did you hear this story about the jailer that got attacked by the inmate? Hmm. Crazy story. Uh, we will post the video on our feed uh, at Dr. Matt Show. But the jailer, a jailer was suddenly attacked by an inmate. And, um, I mean, the jailer, you can see, open the door, and then this one inmate just starts pounding on him. And this, the jailer was going down. This was not looking good for them. I mean, he was holding right. his own, but he was getting whooped. He was losing. And then another Another inmate came to his rescue and oh, wow. saved the jailer and tackled the other guy and took him to the ground and held him down and saved probably the day. And now that second inmate is in solitary yeah. for his own protection. That's right, because it's not SMRT, that's for sure. I am the smart SMRT. I mean SMART. <laughs> that's now my new favorite song. You've never heard that before? No. It's fairly old. I mean, that show's been on for 20 years. I know. I spent a lot of time reading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, lo- I read a lot of books. Do you? Yeah, I don't just watch Homer. Why not? There's a, there's a whole, like, uh, iPhone app you can get where it's just Homer Simpson episodes. You just watch all of them. Why? Why? Why not? Why, no, just, well, let's just think that through for one minute. Okay. Why? Really? Why not? Why? It's very enjoyable. I think Terry poses the uh, more important question. Yeah. Why not? Sounds like we're using the same words. It's just uh... what are the reasons not to? Hmm. You could have what is it like seven hundred episodes? Yeah, of a TV show that's funny. Again, I ask why. I'm just tossing it out there. So here's a question for you, Terry. Hmm. Jeffrey has a chance uh, to go to Comic Con. Oh, okay. And if we were to send him to Comic Con, yes. And we were going to have him interview mm. all types of comic heroes okay. and oddities. Yes. 
which would you most want him to interview? I don't know. It depends on who shows up. Well, let's just give a list because you can't guarantee who's going to be there because people get very obscure when they come to these where they, there's they like do. their absolute favorite and it's like some random thing from a video game. Wouldn't would you want them to talk to Batman? Sure. Who else would you want him to talk to? Well, talk to the ones that the majority of people would know. Yeah, like who? Like a Batman, again, Superman, Iron Man. Keep going. Captain America, Thor, you know, those guys. Yeah, keep going. That's, I, that's about it. After you get past that, people don't know who they are. Well, okay, but give us some obscure ones that he ought to be looking for. Because, again, you are the only one in the room that would know who he should talk to. Who would be there? I don't know. It's a trap. That's what I kind of feel. I feel, about, I feel the trap closing around. No, there's me, not a so. trap. He really needs to go, and we need we need to know who he should chase down. Well, you could probably find those. Isn't there a CPR dummy troop? Isn't there a troop of people that carry CPR dummies around? No, Isn't just, that a Marvel comic? That's just the the oh. kids in what Philadelphia or wherever yeah. that was. You know, the sad thing is people will dress up as characters from movies that won't be out for another year. Oh, yeah. I went last year, and I think there were about 20 Harley Quinns. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Harley, who's Harley Quinn? She was from the movie Suicide Squad. Well, wasn't Harley Quinn romance the Har- the Harlequin romance? That's different. You're so, trying to it sounds like the same name. No, it's different. So wasn't it just like a like a nope, a different. romance nope. novel? Mm-hmm. Well, it, there was a romance, kind of a messed up one with the Joker, but it's different. Huh. She. <laughs> So Harley Quinn was the Joker psychiatrist in jail, and the Joker corrupted her to the point that she turned to a life of crime. It's the way the story goes. Should he look for Harley at the I guess Comic-Con? if you can get someone who wants to act like Harley. Some people don't want to play the character. They just want to dress up and have fun. When you go interview them, they just talk to you. They're just, you know, Bob. They're just regular humans. And that's boring. You want to talk to Batman. Let's just say he he found Batman. Okay. What, what should he ask Batman that would intrigue you, one who has all the paraphernalia and every Ask Friday if, wears if a he cape. likes If he likes the Avenger movies. Really? Yeah. Is that <laughs> going to tick him off? Probably. Will Jeff, he says. Be, will Jeff get a bat punch to the kisser? Get a bat punch. What are you going to do now that Superman has died? How uh, does the Justice League move excuse forward? Excuse me, I have not seen that movie. Oh, spoiler, sorry. Wow. It has been out for, you know, a while. How long? A week? Two, a month? It came out like the early part of the summer. I was going to go this weekend. It's not even in theaters anymore. It's on DVD. Go find it, people. Sorry to spoil it for everybody. It's a great movie. Okay, we'll be looking forward to that, Jeff. Spoiler, he comes back. Really? Yeah, he's in the next movie. How? I thought he was dead. It's the comics. No one dies in comic books. They always come back. That's weird. No, it's true. Totally true. Okay, we will take a break, folks, and if you've ever dieted, you're going to want to listen to our next guest. Why Your Diet May Be Making You Fat. She wrote the book on it, Why Diets Make Us Fat, The Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight Loss. Stick with us, folks. We are going to break this one apart. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and feel better in life. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, part of the goal every day with the show is to help you get the information you need to live longer and lead healthier, happier lives. We know that everybody at some point in their life is probably going to to need to very carefully evaluate their diet, what they eat, how they eat. But diet fads in America, they those two words go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, if you've ever tried to lose 10 pounds on a diet and you only find yourself coming back and gaining all the weight back, uh, you know, a month or two later, it could be because our brains and bodies don't agree with today's assumptions about dieting. Our guest today is Dr. Sandra Amet. She's a neuroscientist who wrote a book explaining why dieting as we know it is completely wrong. Her book is Why Diets Make Us Fat. The Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight weight Loss. Welcome, Dr. Sandra Amet. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. What an interesting uh, idea this is. And I mean, it really, it's it's so important, I guess, for all of us to understand what's going on in our brains um, when it comes to dieting. Talk to us about what, what you, why you believe it's our diets that might actually make us fat. Well, it's a very consistent finding in the research literature that if you look at two people who are the same weight, with the same eating and exercise habits, and one of them is a dieter and the other one is, you follow those people out for 5 or 10 or 15 years, on average, the dieters end up heavier. Ugh. So that's, that's completely settled. There have been 15 different papers that have showed that following people for anywhere from 1 to 15 years. Yeah. What isn't settled is why, and the controversy is basically between people who say, well, of course people diet because they're prone to gaining weight, and that means that dieters just are people who are gaining weight anyway, and maybe they would have gained even more weight if they hadn't been dieters. Uh, and people who say, well, you know, there are a couple of studies, including a study of identical twins, that suggests that it's actually dieting itself uh-huh. that leads to the weight gain. What, what would, what's your take? What do you believe is going on? I find that evidence pretty convincing, uh, particularly the identical twin study and a study that showed that uh, if you, you, obviously you can't do an intervention to make people crazy about their weight, because mm. that would be, for one thing, unethical, and for another thing, very difficult. But what done is they, somebody did a study where they took a bunch of high school girls who really hated their bodies and were at high risk for becoming constant dieters the rest of their lives, and they did an intervention to and make them feel like it was less important to be thin. And what they found was that compared to the other girls who were in the same state to begin with, the girls who got the intervention felt better about their bodies, they dieted less, and then they gained less weight over the next two years than the girls who hadn't gotten the intervention, who had also started out upset about their bodies. Hmm. Wow. Uh, You know, we're also having some problems with your phone uh, right now, Sandra. Let's take a break and see if we can't get that fixed, get a better line for you, and we'll come back and continue 
this research and your book, Why Diets Make Us Fat, The Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight Loss. Dr. Sandra Amet will be with us. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking with Sandra Amet about dieting and her book, Why Diets Make Us Fat, The Unintended Consequences of Our Obsession with Weight Loss. Dr. Sandra Amet, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Good. And the line sounds a lot better now. Um, talk about dieting. There's many things, as I read your articles, that 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 probably cause the diets themselves to, to not necessarily be as beneficial. What are some of the things that, that you found about a diet that leads to weight gain? So there are a couple of things. One is that diets are really stressful. We know that people who are on diets have higher levels of stress hormones than people who aren't. And stress hormones directly cause weight, lo- weight gain. Hmm. In fact, they directly cause the type of weight gain inside the abdomen that is the most damaging to health. And then the other thing is maybe a little more subtle, which is that dieting teaches people to ignore and to not pay attention to their hunger. And eventually it teaches a lot of people not even to be able to feel their hunger. And that interferes with the brain system that normally keeps your weight stable. Hmm. Unfortunately, in the modern environment where people are basically throwing food at you 24 hours a day, when your weight stops being stable, it's a lot more likely to go up than down. And that's what ends up happening to a lot of people. That's interesting that you would actually learn to not pay attention to your own hunger, but hunger would be, um, I guess, a communication from your body, right? So you're, you're ignoring right. your, bo- your, own, your body's own way of maintaining itself. Yeah, and I think that is part of the reason that people in current society are so likely to have their weight just kind of creep up a little over time, a couple of pounds a year. Hmm. That's a lot of weight once you get to be 50 or 60 years old. Yeah. Do you yourself, I read, you personally have stopped all forms of dieting, right? Yeah, I did. I gave it up as my New Year's resolution in 2010. And how's it six years ago? How's that going for you? It's going great. (laughs) You've got yourself back? I settled into a weight that was right around the middle of the range, the 50-pound range that I used to go through when I was dieting. And I've stayed there pretty much ever since. I have clothes in only one size now. Hmm. They always fit. If I go to my closet for a dress that I haven't worn in two years, it still fits. That never used to be true. And I'm Spending a lot less time and energy worrying about what I eat. I don't feel guilty for eating. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, calculating what I'm allowed to eat, what I'm not allowed to eat. Yeah, it, you, it's really freeing. You probably it is. It's freeing of time. It's freeing of energy. Probably even you might even feel better about yourself 
without having this constant, you know, sense that you're not cutting it. Yeah, that's actually one of the really subtle effects that go wild to kick in. is It's very powerful. It turns out that it's really difficult to tell yourself that you're happy with your body while also trying to change it. And the longer I've spent not trying to change my body, the more relaxed and confident I've become about it. Yeah. It seems like... Um... It's it's kind of ingrained in our nature today to to always be questioning our bodies, why we aren't good enough, why we're not tall. I mean, I, I imagine even when you get your weight to the right level, you're still going to then get pressure to make it, you know, muscly enough, <laughs> thin enough, get rid of the cellulite, buns of steel, abs of steel. It's 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 like at some point, when do we when do we just become good enough? Yeah, basically never as far as, uh, you know, popular culture goes. Yeah, the marketing goes. You actually, um, and I think this is interesting, you talk about the fact that there's two different types of eaters, and it might be important to figure out which one you are. Right. So there are people who are very careful about what they eat, who think about their plan, weigh and measure and worry about it all the time, which I I call controlled eaters. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the message that we get from all over, that we should be like that, that, you know, if you're you're not in the thinnest 2% of the population, then you should be worrying about what you eat every minute of every day. But turns out that those people are actually here on average and more likely to gain weight hmm. than the people who are intuitive eaters, which is simply a matter of uh, people who eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full. People who can hear those body signals and consistently respond to them. Hmm. Those people tend to have stable weights and they tend to be thinner general. So there's the control eater that's... It's just trying to, you know, manage every intake, measuring everything, thinking everything through. And then the intuitive eaters, I guess, that eat by feel. They sense their hunger. They eat. They. My, my wife always says, doesn't it feel good to, like, I'll, I'll keep eating my meal. And she's like, just stop and are you, do you want any more, really? Are you still hungry? It's, but it's like, it's there. Well, I mean, it's there. You don't want to waste it. There's people in Africa that didn't. Have it. Yeah, there's people in Africa who aren't fat yet. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that the weirdest psychology that we've got? But the intuitive, I guess, is just the one that's more attuned to their own body. Yeah, and what that has to do with is what part of your brain you're using to manage your eating. People who are controlled eaters are using what we call executive function, which is the part of your brain that is responsible for planning for the future and resisting impulses and controlling urges that are happening right now in the service of your future goals. And then people who are intuitive eaters are using their hypothalamus, which is an unconscious part of the brain that controls hunger and metabolism, actually controls how much energy your body burns, and uh, how active you feel like you want to be. 
And the difference is that the hypothalamus is on duty 24-7 all the time. Well, the executive function system, which, you know, ours works great compared to other animals. We, We are the planningest animal on the planet, but it doesn't like to work long hours. It takes a lot of vacations. If you've been using it hard all day at work, by the time you get home, it just isn't going to have much stuff left for you. That's why so many people find themselves overeating at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, that's it, huh? And it's almost like you're tired, you're hungry, you got home late, um, but your body may not even want to eat as much, but I guess you're just, you, you need something. Yeah, so there there again, you get people who have been sourcing those signals from their body for so long. If you don't know when you're hungry, you almost certainly don't know when you're not hungry anymore either. That's true, huh? Yeah, you're just not, you're not dialed in. Yeah, but you can learn to do that. You can actually learn by paying attention to those signals. You can figure out how to hear them again. It's interesting that you're a neuroscientist. Um, And to me, you know, normally every kind of health approach or health book we're hearing comes from, you know, some fitness expert, some dietitian. But to have it coming from a neuroscientist, I think, adds some really powerful clout and insight. What, What stands out for you as the biggest learning that we all should walk away with today? Uh, when it comes to our dieting and our our lives? I think the most important thing that I would like to get across to people is that you should not be teaching your kids especially to be controlled eaters. When When you say innocently, oh, come on, have another slice of grandma's special meatloaf, she made it just for you, or... Do you really think you need another cookie? Mm. What you're doing is you're teaching your kids to substitute an external judgment of what they should be eating for their body's natural sense of what they want. You know, you could say to your kids, just like your wife says to you, do you really want that? Wouldn't yeah. it be more fun to have it tomorrow? Hmm. Because if you eat it now, then it won't be there tomorrow, and you might want it even more tomorrow. Yeah. So just get like ask questions to to get people to tune into their body versus creating this this external judgment as a driver for what people should eat. Right. Yeah. That's great advice. And, and ask ask with real curiosity, right? You right. sometimes get parents and teachers doing these leading questions <laughs> that clearly have a right answer and a right. wrong answer. Uh do it do it like you really want to know the actual answer. Mhm. I mean, what could be more important honestly than learning to get become attuned to your body? It's all you got, right? It's it's the thing we have to ride to the finish line and yet it's interesting how so much of our feedback for how to run this body is external to the body instead of internal to the body. Yeah, people who are are in tune with their bodies have all kinds of advantages. They're more likely to notice when they're injured. They're more likely to notice when they're tired and they need to sleep. 
they just are much, they have a much easier time driving these bodies all the way through than people who just try to be a brain on a stick and forget that they ever have a body. So true. So true. Well, Sandra, we appreciate you. I think this is a great insight to all of us. And and really, I think it puts it a, a really important responsibility on parents to, to teach the skills not of control and, um, you know, and measurement and just, I don't know, trying to master the diet versus biofeedback. Allow your body to give you the information it needs. Again, we appreciate uh, Dr. Sandra Amet and her great work on on this book. It, when you think about it too, folks, this is your life. This is your body, and we're here to help you gain the information you can. Why diets make us fat, the unintended consequences of our obsession with weight loss. We'll take a break, come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Billy, where's Goldie? I put him in the lake. What could go wrong? Descending Fisher. It's at least 200 feet, Novak. (laughs) Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? It's like this body's been in the water for weeks. I want to know what this thing is doing in my lake. Goldfish hunt packs. The first bite draws blood. The blood draws the pack. This Christmas... Little Goldie's out of his bag. Now he's out for revenge. Goldie, this ends now. Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember the goal, help you uh, live longer, lead healthier, happier lives. According to our last guest, a great way to do that might be to go, actually will be, to get off the diet. Quit doing the diet dance. Instead, it might be more valuable for each of us to become attuned to our bodies. Heaven forbid that we actually could connect to our body in such a way that we could feel when we are actually hungry and sense when we're full. Wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't it be weird that we, we didn't just eat the plate full, we actually ate off of the plate what we were hungry for? Wouldn't that be weird? Don't you wonder what your diet would be like if it was completely directed by your physiology, your body, instead of your cravings or instead of your brain or um, your marketing that you saw or the shopping cart that you filled up? Do you think your body would actually have you eat the right vegetables to get the right minerals you need? I don't know. I think our body's a pretty amazing tool. And I also believe inside the body's a spirit that's a pretty phenomenal, high-tuned device as well. What gets in the way, it seems like, is our mind. 
that has us comparing ourselves to our neighbors even though our body types are different or you know, comparing ourselves to the latest and greatest thing I saw on Facebook or, man, that Snapchat video I watched with my friend doing all of these planks. Oh, she's amazing. I wish I could do a plank. Some of us are like, what's a plank? It's an interesting world we live in, folks. And can I just challenge all of us as as just a, as humans to learn to t- dial in your body? Can you tell when you're underslept other than the fact that you have to drink all this caffeine to make it through the day? What is your body telling you? Have you ever tried to go to sleep when your body was telling you to go to sleep and you couldn't? You, or you tried, but then you pulled your phone out and you couldn't sleep? Let's see what happens when we start to follow the cues given by our bodies. I bet it would help us live longer. I bet it would help us understand what's going on more and uh, probably be able to use our body as a, as a resource uh, that can serve our spirit and a, that can serve our mind. It would be a really powerful innovation. So just think about it. You... How are you doing with your uh, attention to your body? And maybe let's start focusing less this fall if you're setting new goals coming up for the new fall season with your kids going to school. What if we just instead set the goal not about weight loss but about body attention and paying attention to the signs and the information that our bodies are bringing to us? Wouldn't that be powerful? Anyway, uh, another tool to help you today is going to be a little uh, work put together by our producer, Leanna Tan, How to Be Productive. A lot of us just don't quite know how to do it, so we thought, let's get you the information you need. Have you ever thought about how much time you waste just sitting and waiting for things to happen? How would your life be different if you chose to seize every moment of every day? Well, our producer, Leanna Tan, is going to teach us five ways you can be productive anytime, anywhere. I don't know about you, but I hate wasting time. Time is money! And if you boys is wasting time, then you're wasting money! It seems like life is too short not to be making the most of each moment. In those spare moments walking to work or waiting at the doctor's office, I could be staring at the fish tank or flipping through a useless travel magazine from three months ago. Or I could use those extra minutes to do something that will benefit my life or somebody else's. I got all the time I want. I got a time machine. You know what I think the secret to productive people is? I think productive people purposely leave things undone just so they have something to do when there's nothing else to do. I meant to do that. Well, instead of saving that email to your client in your drafts folder or saving your half load of laundry to do on a commercial break, here are five things I recommend you do in those little snippets of time you have between your daily activities that will keep you productive yet still relatively stress-free. Why? Write in your journal. Paperback Just think. In order for our ancestors to record things for posterity, they had to chisel each letter into stone tablets. And yet they still submitted themselves to arthritis and carpal tunnel so that we would be able to live better lives. Nowadays, you can just scribble in a notebook or whip out your phone and barely maneuver your thumbs to record what's happening in your life. Okay, Mr. Essay, prepare to be written. Read a book. You don't have to take my word for it. When's the last time you finished a novel for fun? 
probably elementary school, because since then you've gotten so busy you don't have time to sit down and read a good book. I've never seen so many books in all my life. But if you added up all your spare moments waiting for the next activity in your life to happen, you'd probably have enough time to finish a book in like a week. Unless you literally haven't read since elementary. How can you read this? There's no pictures. But I'd recommend the large print with lots of pages rather than the small print with few pages because then you feel a lot more accomplished by the time they call you into the doctor's office rather than realizing, despite furiously reading for 20 minutes, you're only five pages further than where you started. Well, it's about time you got your head out of those books and paid attention to more important things. Three. Learn a new skill. Working be a downer but there are a million things you don't know how to do but on the bright side there are a million things you could learn how to do i mended something i mended it change the ball like how to solve a rubik's cube how to speak french or how to crochet my sister made like a bajillion little hats for newborn babies in all her little spare moments one time okay stare at a fish tank or save newborn babies is it really that hard of a decision Four. Call a friend or family member. Operator, or could you help me place this call? You could be scrolling through the latest Pinterest recipes, or you could be strengthening relationships with the people who are the reason you're still living and breathing. You know, maybe the reason your uncle always rejects your calls is because you only ever call to ask for spare cash or to help pay off a loan. Sometimes it's nice to just get a call from someone who wants to see what's happening in your life for a few minutes. A few spare moments spent wisely could strengthen bonds for a lifetime. Listen to a great podcast or a really cool radio bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. It's crazy. Every once in a while, I think we all just need to go take a break. You know, maybe like a college girl who likes to go off on tangents and give you very pertinent and potentially life-altering advice? I promise. That could be the best possible investment of your time. Ain't that a good one? <laughs> so, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, walking to the bus stop, waiting for your burger and fries, or stuck at a never-ending red light. With these five tips, you can be productive anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with just thinking and breathing sometimes. But next time you're tempted to count the paint flecks on the wall, first, just think of posterity. Think of the generations you could impact, the babies you could save, and the bonds you can strengthen. Then take another listen to my radio bit and remember how I saved you from meaninglessly counting the number of goldfish in the dentist's fish tank. You're welcome. Now get to it. Well, I'm Liana Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Top of the morning to you. Happy hour number three of the show. And uh, for some of you... Back east, especially, it's almost uh, it's it's a half hour or an hour before lunchtime. Do you eat lunch right at noon? Yes, you do every day. Yes, wow. unlike what our last guest told us to do. I don't just go. I don't eat when my body tells me to eat. I eat when it's noon because nothing says lunchtime more than noon. 
Okay. It's just you go by the schedule. It's on my planner. Eat. Sleep. Uh, I eat at noon. At noon 30, I sleep. 2.30, I get up. And I leave. <laughs> so that's the last two hours of work. Yeah. Lunch and a nap. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I probably ought to exercise, but I'm yeah. ah, too tired. I just had lunch. I don't want the food to <laughs> upset my stomach. That's funny. You know how it is. So uh, today, by the way, we're going to be speaking with um, Julie Nelson. Uh, we call her the bomb mom, the child whisperer, about why you should expose your children to the arts and how to make our homes naturally occurring places of art. Mm. Why, why do you moan? Just father of one child, one on the way. Why are you moaning? That's not going to be something I'm going to foster. But like a painting, like an art, don't you like to like have a nice painting and say, son, that is a Van Gogh. No, usually I say, don't throw that in here. You're going to knock that off the wall and mom's going to get mad. So if somebody scribbles all over the wall, are you supposed to take a step back and be like, yes, no. I really like what you've done there. No, you get one of those eraser things and you get rid of it. The magic eraser. Then when you take the child out of timeout, you take them to an art studio and let them ruin their building. Ruin their building. Okay. <laughs> I like the use of color. See, I, uh, I don't play an instrument, but I love music. So at our home, we play a lot of music. And amazingly, I've turned out some pretty amazing musicians. But Weird Al isn't really the type of yeah. music that you need to. Skrillex. We're more into the. We're more hip than Weird Al. You're not listening to Weird Weird Al and his. Did you say more hip than Weird Al? Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's if that's possible. So art. How to instill a, a love of art in your family? Again, this is something we're trying to raise your levels. To help both of you pick up your games, for heaven's sakes. I tell you, it's so hard. Not only do I have to run a show, but I have to raise a family and get everybody on target. So we will be speaking with Julie Nelson about that. Also, we'll be visiting with our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. You won't want to miss it. I'm sure it will involve something with BYU and sports which is pretty much the name of their show, BYU Sports Nation, plus just a lot of headlines and fun. On top of it all, we will be talking about the hero of the day and fully celebrating Ride the Wind Day. Try to catch the wind. Right now, just sway back and forth for a minute. We celebrate all things flying that take advantage of the wind. Your kites, today's the day to fly a kite. Today's the day to get that drone out and fly it over an airport runway. Ah, don't do that. That'll get you in trouble. Ride the wind day, August 23rd. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie? Speedo USA and Ralph Lauren both announced Monday that they will end their sponsorships of Ryan Lochte in light of the recent controversy involving the Olympic swimmer embellishing details of an alleged altercation in Rio. In a statement, Speedo said while it has enjoyed a winning relationship with the gold medalist, it, quote, cannot condone behavior that is counter to the values this brand has long stood for. 
Stanford University has a new initiative in which it bans liquor from parties in reaction to recent sexual assault cases on campus, including that of Brock Turner. Undergraduates will be prohibited from having shots at on-campus parties and banned from having high-volume liquor containers in an undergraduate housing. Critics on campus viewed the new policy as strictly reactionary and potentially will lead to more unsafe drinking. It's still undecided whether Donald Trump will continue to support forced deportation of millions of undocumented immigrants living in the U.S., his campaign manager said Sunday. But Trump himself insisted Monday, I'm not flip-flopping. He told Fox News, we want to come up with a fair but firm process. Fair but firm. He did not, however, provide any specifics. And finally, in your sea ocean slash news. Okay. A giant pearl, believed to be the biggest ever, was found by a fisherman who kept it as a good luck charm. Uh huh. The man who has not been identified discovered discovered the priceless 75-pound, that's right, 75-pound gem 10 years ago in the sea off the coast of the Philippines. It is worth an eye-watering value of $100 million. What? And the second one is worth $35 million. So the fact that it's $100 million... Is quite a bit of money. Well, and he kept it as a good luck charm? He kept it as a good luck charm. But unfortunately, his house caught on fire, and so he was forced to give it to a local tourism office in the Philippines. What? Sell that bad boy. That's what I thought. I think, I'll tell you, there's, you know, Snoop Doggy Dog would probably love to hang that from his neck. Oh, yeah. A 75-pound pearl? I don't Who think wouldn't? he could handle it, actually. You can't handle that pearl. Thanks, Sadie. Well done. I'm telling you, that's a lot of pearl. If I gave that to my wife, holy cow, she'd be one happy camper. And then the next time when you show up with just a card, it won't cut it. What, just a card, Matt? You got to keep expectations low so you can impress with the you know minimal effort. You'd think you'd be able to sell that. If it's worth $100 million, you could just sell it for 30 Yeah. $40 million. Yeah. Call it a discount. Yeah. Just... I'd take two. I could get by on two. Two mil? Yeah. What you could do is saw the pearl Ooh. Yes. into a bunch of pieces, immediately negating its worth and value. <laughs> <laughs> and then it would be like a million dollars. But you could sell it for thousands to 500 people. Um, crazy, crazy stuff. I, I don't know if you heard this story um, about Ivanka. Did you hear about Ivanka Trump? Yes. Did you hear that she donated to Hillary Clinton? I did. Vaguely, in the background of some situation I was in, someone said something like that. New York Magazine pointed out that Ivanka Trump appears to have ordered an ear cuff from the jewelry line Lady Grey. Oh, that's right. Say what? Do you know know what an ear cuff is? No. It's a piece of metal that hooks over the top of your ear. Yeah. It just sort of sits there as sort of a jewelry piece that's oh. instead of an earring it's an ear cuff that sits on the top it of the sounds ear. like something a cia agent puts on you to get you to talk yeah larry bring me the ear cuff not the ear cuff so apparently she donated she gave money for an ear cuff but uh it ended up being a, really a donation of 84 dollars to the clinton campaign see the old ear cuff and switch trick it's one of the oldest tricks in the political market you think you're buying an ear cuff but really, you're donating to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Hmm. Well, the manufacturer of the jewelry took that money and donated it. Yeah. But wrote her a note 
Yeah, send her a note back saying, hey, we're just so you know, we're donating this to the Clinton campaign. We're happy to let you know that the proceeds of your sale have been generously donated to the American Immigration Council. Oh, that's good. The Every Town for Gun Safety. Okay, good. And the Hillary Clinton campaign. You're a monster. What? <laughs> My dad's going to kill me. We hope you enjoy your new Lady Grey Helix ear cuff. Yeah, look it up. Look up ear cuff. I think, I think you, uh, you, know, you would appreciate that. I'm full. I'm good. I'm, I'm totally good. In other news, yes, as we're talking about Trump, uh, apparently in Norway there's a political election of their own going on. The prime minister took offense to being compared to Donald Trump in a debate with the uh, opposition leader Thursday mm. last week. Um, he said, let me see the quote here, we're not there today. Norway doesn't have those conditions, but we could get there. Yes, we have a government that has tax cuts and priorities. Um, it goes on and says... He says, to me, um, this is really oddly worded. See, in Europe, when they put newspaper stories together, it's really different than they do it here. So it's hard to track what they're talking about. But they're not taking too kindly to being compared to Donald Trump. Why? Uh, he says basically that you're, you're, he, the, the labor leader accused the prime minister of turning the country into something that Donald Trump would like. Oh, boy. And the labor leader said, we have a policy to take care of our growth potential. We have a policy to take care of the weakest in our society. I think it would be nice if we were discussing Norwegian policies and not bringing in Donald Trump. <laughs> so, so Donald Trump is being tossed around as something negative in other people's presidential it's like, it's elections. Like it's, a, it's like a bad word. It's now all of a sudden his name is just being used in vain. They're all recoiling from the uh, very thought of it. In other news, have you ever used a claw machine? Uh, yes. The game, the claw machine. Yes. Where you put thousands of dollars in and you eventually get a really inexpensive, cheap. I'm hoping someone's looking for the Toy Story <laughs> reference. <laughs> yeah. Just over here scrambling to find it. I'm like, uh, it hit me in my. What's he doing? Oh, it's got to be Toy He's Story. He's checking his playlist because on his phone he has all of the Toy Story. We went to kind of a. Songs. Uh, it was like a bowling alley, miniature golf, video game type establishment, uh -huh. and they have claw machines. Mm -hmm. And my son, because of the Toy Story movie, was just drawn to the machine. No, no, he gets really mad because he wants to play the machine. My wife and I are like, it's just built to steal from you. Yeah, they're packed in there tight, son. It'll take tens of thousands of dollars. And so if you get in there and try to play it, we're just going to waste all this money when we could do something else. And instead, he wants to play this machine. So we, we went for it, and he, he goes, I want that the stuffed animal or whatever. So I go to try to get the stuffed animal, and of course, it didn't work. Yeah. And then he got mad. You only get one shot per coin. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. That's... That's the little squeaky toys that are in the claw machine. <laughs> Now, what's funny is all those little alien squeaky toys are at the Pizza Planet. That's the restaurant yeah. they're at Yeah. in the Toy Story movie. And they're in there, and they look up, and they're like, the claw. And it's like <laughs> their higher power that's coming to choose them and select them for, That's good living know. right there. Well, in New Jersey, a state senator, Nicholas Scrutari, recently introduced legislation calling for more oversight over claw machines. Difficult is one thing. Completely rigged is another, he told the Associated <laughs> Press. We just want to make sure there is a level playing field. In New Jersey, the claw games are regulated by the Legalized Games of Chance Control Commission, 
Ooh. It's, uh, Legalized Game of Chance Control Commission. Yes, they have gambling. The LGCCC. New Jersey. So the LCCCC, or the LGCCC, which oversees the amusement industry and inspects the machines to ensure they're fair. Most states consider the machines games of chance, EAP says. As long as they comply with the state's rules, they are exempt from gambling statutes. Skatari's measures call for programming the machines so players have better odds of winning something. See, so the Skatari apparently took a trip where they have claw machines. Yes. And had about 100 bucks stolen from him. Apparently. And as a legislator, he's like, that's it. So these are rigged. I've had it. No, they are because they don't quite no. grab the toy. Well, I have seen a guy in there loading up the machine with stuffed animals. He's about a 300-pound man sitting on all of the stuffed animals to push them down deep and stick them to (laughs) each other. Or you'll see a story every once in a while of a little kid who's able to climb in the machine (laughs) because the openings are just enough for a toddler to crawl in. Mm -hmm. And finally, at $62.8 million, McKinley Independent School District in Texas, building a new high school football stadium was already considered among the most expensive in the country. Now it might be number one after the school board trustees learned last week that the higher building costs have pushed the price tag to $69 million, $7 million more than what the voters approved of in May. For a football stadium. For a high stadium. school football stadium. What? It's a 12,000-seat stadium. It'll include uh, an attached events center. You know, they, they yeah. usually turn these into like a big right. shopping sort of area, too. Much of the roughly 11% price hike is attributed to skyrocketing concrete prices and additional road construction around the site. The district initially planned to build the roads in a couple of phases, but have officially decided to construct them all at the same time. Because, you know, why not? It's just tax dollars. Mama, when am I going to learn to read? You're not going to read, son. We're going to go to a game. At our new sports center for high school sports. $69 million. That is crazy. Well, you saw the Dallas stadium. Cowboys have a new practice stadium, $350 million. Well, no, that's that's a whole facility they're building around. But that that has all yeah. the high school teams mm-hmm. in that area will play on those fields. And there's a shopping center. There's hotels. Right. There's, there's a place for the Dallas center. Cowboy cheerleaders to practice. Yeah. It's crazy. little rack to put their pom-poms on. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, that's crazy town high school football crazy well let's do this let's uh, take a break when we come back we will have julie k nelson the bomb mom the child whisperer here today she's going to talk to us about how to expose your children to the arts and maybe you know make art a part of their lives we're going to uh get a little culture on the team today Julie K. Nelson will be joining us. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you create healthier, happier families. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us, Julie K. Nelson. Julie is the bomb mom, we call her, and the child whisperer. She has a wonderful website, a spoonful of parenting.com, is one of our contributors, also a uh, teacher and professor at uh, of applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills at Utah Valley University. She also is the author of two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power, Keep It Real, and Grab a Plunger is the other one, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. 
Julie Glate. Glad to have you here. Hey, it's good to be back. You're talking to us today about art, which is a hard thing to do. I took my kids to the King Singers. Mm, so did I. And you would think that I had killed them. <laughs> Mine are younger. They loved it. But they wouldn't say that. When they, they first started it. singing, my younger one went, is that, a, is that a man up there, Mom, or a woman? How does that guy sing that, he high, sing that high? Like, false settle, that counter tenor. Yeah, he was like 80 years old, yeah, the guy. Amazing. You know, amazing. So that to me is one of the things we're trying to teach here. You're trying to say we got to get our kids used to art and bring it into their life and incorporate it. And Yeah, there's so few – there's so little art that's taught anymore in schools. In fact, you're lucky if you've got art on a cart is what they call it here. Pardon? Art on a cart. Yeah, where you kind of – put a little trolley in and you put your art on that and then yeah. you roll it around and you, you you take it to classrooms and you have a little bit of an art experience once a week but that's about it interesting we don't we've taken it out of the schools and so it's really, why does it matter other than yeah, it's you really, know we've got it we've got to do better especially because children are born creative they're yeah. they're born to be part of nature part of the of the five senses um and so we kind of uh turn them into little uh, mechanical robots we've got a didactical learning math and reading and it's those are what's more important mm. and the sciences but the arts are neglected because we only have so much time and parents just don't realize that there's a connection that when you concentrate on the arts and do some form of art that really makes your child more intelligent and it enhances their ability to do the stem you yeah. know the, yeah. the, the others the, the others the harder the harder sciences classes. the classes it, it, it activates that part of their brain and so what they found here's some research interesting matt that um when you talk about the arts, we're talking about music, drama, dance, creative arts. All have been shown to increase a child's cognitive abilities. Those mm. who have played at least one instrument test higher in math. So if you want your child to do better in math, instead of just drilling and practicing and, you know, get them to be playing an instrument, yeah. and that will that will increase their, yeah. that, that part of the domain of their brain to do better in math. It does, and it doesn't even matter that they're good at it. Right. It's just bringing it takes them to the other side of their brain mm -hmm. and which just creates synapses. Mm -hmm. And so the more time they're forced to do the creative stuff forced. I love that word because <laughs> um, like I loved it, but I never felt like I was great at it. But I even just to exposing. this day like to doodle yeah. and I'm not great at it. Yeah. Yeah, and those who are more active in just the arts in general don't have to love it or be proficient. They just have higher GPAs. Hmm. Here's some specific um, studies. One was SAT scores for students who studied the arts for four years were 103 points higher than students for SAT scores than those with no coursework or experience in the arts. And then a little bit younger kids, 80% um, of eighth graders involved in the arts reported um, earning mostly A's. Wow. And high B's compared to 64% that had A's and B's with no artistic involvement. So we got from, from 80%, if you want your child to do well and get yeah. A's, those who are involved in arts are going to have 80% likelihood of being there as opposed to 64%. Interesting. And we start young. I mean, I just, I remember growing up in a home where my mom just had the arts as, a, as naturally occurring in our environment. We had the classics on our walls. Hmm. I never knew they were classics. I yeah. thought they were just like, these are people that, you know, and I wasn't until I went to a museum and I saw Blue Boy, <gasps> Blue Boy up on by Thomas Gainsborough yeah. on the wall. I'm like, that's what I saw. All My up. mom had that, Blue Boy. I, I thought that was just someone did we, <laughs> you know, um, I thought he was a little weird looking yeah. dress, but that was just part of our culture. I remember having, um, two, is it called Young Girls at the Piano? Those two by Renoir. I have no uh, over idea. Our, over our piano. And yeah. these, it's like meeting old friends when I see them now. How you know, interesting. It's like art literacy. Yeah. And 
So I know how to interpret. I know how to read. I know the classics because of what she did. She also played music. We had lots of music going on. That's great. So start young, and it begins with you. Um, so um, you know, initiate the setting parents um, and the the positivity, even if you aren't an artist, if you don't love it, if you don't love the music, learn. you know, just put it on, put on what you um, may not be have literacy for, but you want to learn as well. Um, I, I love this new craze. Now, have you seen in the stores where they have those coloring books that you doodle in? Yeah, my, I gave one to my for wife. For hours. And they yeah. help with anxiety they and do. just, they just to calm down mm-hmm. and therapy. Yeah, but it also really helps with the arts, yeah. to learning to learning how the design is and opening up that creativity. If you want your kids to settle down before dinner because it's a crazy hour mm. while you're cooking, get those things out on the table, the kitchen table, and get them just drawing. That's a great idea. Dump some stuff on there and t- show me what you can make before dinner and kind of scaffold say hey you know if you added some cotton balls to that you're what, talking about younger kids right yeah yeah because well, my 16 year old would be can, like dad oh well thanks you know what's so funny is you get the younger ones out with uh-huh. all the little creativity stuff the, the marshmallows and the toothpicks and the older ones start oh, coming over and build something they really don't think cool. it's cool but man they start seeing other than that hey, you could do that yeah that's really you, you can yeah um so um, if you are also kind of um, couple that with music in the background, it stimulates even more creativity. So if you've got something that's the visual arts where they're drawing or coloring or building, and then you've got art or music going on in the background, then you're only enhancing even more what's what their brain activity. So expose them to music, listening, especially when you're pregnant. Did you know that? Well, I've never been pregnant, but yes. I did do. you put the earphones uh-huh. on your wife's we, belly? We, we did the whole Einstein <laughs> music thing with our kids. Yeah. Honestly, don't think it helped at all. But they, yeah, it, did. It, it helped. The fun thing about it is um, it's I think there's just something about music that's calming for the mom. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it I mean, the whole house. On Sundays, when we want to create a good spirit of Sunday, time to go to church. Let's don't kill each other today. uh Uh Instead of like waking them up and, you know. Yanking them out of bed. Poking the tiger. (laughs) We just just turn on like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir hymns. Really loud. Soft Sunday sounds. Soft Sunday sounds. Yeah. We, we, we take the one day of the week and we decide that it's going to be Sunday where we are going to not have all the other regular stuff going on to kind of make it a day of rest like mm-hmm. it should be. And we do. We change the tone and environment of our home completely. We actually, I know you might think this is radical, but that day there's no TV allowed. What? And no gaming allowed. Really? To give our bodies and minds a rest. That's and then a we, just it, we just feed it. We just feed it with with enriching things. What and do so you the, do you the, guys talk? <laughs> what do you do for all the day? Figure, what's your name again? <laughs> Who are you? That's so sad. Yeah, so we put on like classical music and calm music and we play games. Can you imagine that? Uh-huh. Uno. So we played spoons last week. Have really? you played spoons? It's so fun. No. You haven't? Is it I I've played spooning. No, no, not that, that. Is that different? You put spoons on the table, one less than the people that are going to play the game. So if there's five players, yeah. you put four spoons out on the table. Uh-huh. And then you, you get cards and you – there's actually cards called spoons. But okay. it's just basically a playing deck. And then you give everybody four cards. And then there's a dealer who takes the top card off the stack and then he decides if he wants to keep it or not and he wants to get four of a kind. If he doesn't want it, he passes the next person. Then that person passes one of the next. You keep passing it around. Then the first person who gets four of a kind grabs very quietly and stealthily a spoon spoon without anyone knowing. And everyone's watching to see who's going to grab a spoon. The last person who doesn't get the spoon gets an S. It's like musical chairs Mm -hmm. but without all the violence. Exactly. It's so fun. And then then, then you get an S, then you get a P, and then 
whoever gets spoons, the whole word, then they're – but it's so fun. Oh, fun. Yeah. And more importantly, family time. Exactly. And, you know, you start, you know, having some some really rousing yeah. fun. So are you telling us card games is like art? Yeah. <laughs> Family time. We play music in the Family back. Time. We that play music it. in the background. Chopin is playing uh-huh. in the background. That's yeah, great. <laughs> it is musical chairs. Yeah. So I just want you to consider maybe also an instrument. Instruments are used. There's some kind of music required in junior high, at least around here. Yeah. You can do choir or just music appreciation, but instruments as well. You, you if you never played one yourself, parents, maybe consider your child doing one. There's also lots of research saying if you play one instrument, higher GPA. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of sociability. There's a lot yeah. of social happening in those you know orchestra or band do you consider the accordion an instrument (laughs) and a juice harp yeah i love (laughs) and the drums that to me is that's what that's what's called a band right yeah they they learn um discipline time management there's lots more just not just associated with the musical instrument itself but you learning to play a a lot of tenacity oh yeah and in fact my daughter has a piano studio and her little hashtag is making more than musicians because she uses she teaches and her teachers teach in a way that builds self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Like I found my children, their ability to play a song, like a Disney song that they really like, they've, their self-esteem goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. And other kids just are, are so they, – they think you're so awesome. Like yeah. my brother, he, he grew up to be actually six foot eight, if you could believe this. I have wow. tall, tall siblings. So, of course, he naturally played basketball. But my mom insisted he played the piano. And then that moved over to the organ. If you imagine that, wow! He's, I have that's a, a six foot organist. eight. I have a six foot eight brother who plays the organ classically. Now that was a woman chick. But he could he could reach. Boy, he that, can. That he's would, got some good reach. Julie, well, let's that, take a yeah. break. We got to get to a, a break so we can get back. I want you to continue to give us the tools to get how to to integrate mm-hmm. art into our families, into our lives, and really, it's expanding our brains, but it's expanding our lives. Really, it's giving us more. More to talk about, more to experience. Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com. Go check out her website. Wonderful resources there. All of the articles she's ever written, they're there, folks. Plus, probably pictures of her six foot eight brother. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Mary Poppins for you. A spoonful of parenting helps the medicine go down. Yeah, the parenting go down. Even in the most delightful way. Delightful. Go to the website, a spoonful of parenting.com, and you'll find Julie K. Nelson. She's one of our great contributors and is talking to us today about art, making sure you're incorporating art into your family's life, lives and, and your children mainly. Yeah. Um, so my, my, my culture growing up was um, music and arts, um, visual arts. And my mom made us all choose an instrument. Most of us played the piano. Um, my, like I was telling you, my old, my younger brother, that's the tallest one. I mean, they're all over six foot. I mean, he's six like foot Michael five. Phelps. Yeah, he is. And so, you know, you'd think he has this, you know, he's got this six foot eight, six foot eight body for a basketball player. Right. He played collegiate. But, you know, he's over 50 now. 
he can't play basketball really no. a lot. He's got a career, but right. guess what he does all the time? Plays the piano. Does he really? Teaches his children how to play the piano. So, so you can enjoy the arts till you die. Ah. You know, he can he can he can have that as a hobby forever. But the basketball thing, you know, is kind of a you know he does it once in a while, but his knees are kind of bad. Mm. But so he he learned the arts and appreciation for the arts very young, and so no matter what your children end up doing for their careers, or even even athlete, you know, if they do something athletic. They can still have the love and the friendship with music for yeah. the rest of their lives. Oh, I, I think that's I think it's important. You miss out on life. And plus, like I said, my brother was pretty handsome, pretty tall, and even though you know he played basketball, but it made ladies swoon when, oh, yeah. they, when he played the, the piano and the organ. So, just wow. saying. So, okay, let, let's see. Keep a, a craft drawer. My mom did this really well. Also, she had a drawer, a craft where, drawer. where you just had whatever you wanted in that drawer. And, and I just went on Sunday to uh, my husband's cousin's house, and they had a child-sized table, a rather large one, in their kitchen. I was really, I was really impressed by this. Small chairs. They have kids that are like you know eight and six, <laughs> and all the crafts on top of that table. So have a designated place in the house where they can go to and just enjoy. Oh, how great! Just the you know the the paper, the crafts, the you know the scissors and then just make whatever they want to yeah. and keep adding to it another thing that's really great is to have like a, a what i call a trashable drawer or a trashable you can have it in a, in a cardboard box where instead of throwing out your egg cartons oh, put stuff in there or toilet in paper there. rolls uh-huh. the, the you know the ones you know yeah. and and you put them in there and then just let them build you know things make a city on the table oh, that's with cool. with tape tape and all these things in an old cereal boxes mm-hmm. let them create and so you know keep keep those for 3D model building or you know big fridge boxes we you know when I, do you ever got yeah. your fridge and you put oh, it in the backyard yeah, they totally. turn it into a house you oh, know a car that was the greatest, the greatest thing tunnels ever. yeah and creativity yeah we kept those refrigerator those boxes were the days. forever those oh, were yeah. the days do you remember yeah Back when you, you know, back when they didn't care enough about the seat belts, they didn't, they didn't ever protect us that way, but they let us play in a crate. <laughs> in our backyard, we kept it was we, the greatest those thing. refrigerator boxes and stuff. Yeah. We kept those in the backyard and turned them into all kinds Trucks of, and, you know, uh. rocket ships to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and traditions, um, when you have certain traditions that go on, like birthdays and stuff, uh, make them creative. So in other words, instead of just buying the birthday card, make a tradition in your home that you make the birthday card. Um, my son's oh, really cool. good friend was is moving um, to Luxembourg. And so last night he said, Mom, do you have a, a goodbye a farewell card that I can make my friend? I said, why don't you or, – or, or give my friend. I said, why don't you make a card instead? Hmm. He's like, make a card? I'm like, yeah, you know how you do – and I, so I gave him some ideas and he made the most creative oh, card. Cool. More meaningful and personal. All from his heart. All from his heart and took it to that friend's house and said, you know, goodbye and gave him this really personal. Did his friend say, what, you can't afford a card? <laughs> no, he loved it. He loved it. He I loved like it. That. And he's going to keep it forever. No store bought. We make our cards. Um, teach him how to write poetry. Mm. Even fun, silly little poems, and Limericks. even if you even if you buy the card, <laughs> yeah, put the personalized poem in it. I like that, you know. And then write use it your them brain is what you're for saying for the birthday greeting, rather yeah. than what Hallmark comes up with. Yeah, um, we do in our family. One of our traditions is we I keep um, a long. Um, a piece of uh, I don't know what you call it, like butcher paper, almost that's rolled up on a roll kind uh-huh. of thing, and it goes forever. And um, we cut off big slices of that and turn it into banners. Oh yeah! And so we put it, you know, cut up a long piece of that and put it on our floor. I get the markers out, and then we write in big lockbox letters, you know, "Welcome home" or you know, "Happy yeah. you know, baby coming." You know, we we welcome things in our neighborhood and um, birthdays and any kind of celebration. We make banners and put it up on the people's that's houses cool. or at our house. Glad um, you're not in prison. Yeah. <laughs> 
anything. Um, so welcome, baby. Anything. We make these banners, and it's very creative. And you should see them all on the floor. It doesn't yeah. matter how old you are. The little ones scribbling. The older ones decorating the. So yeah, um, delivered handmade Christmas cards and Valentine cards to neighbors when they're or when they're sick. And one other thing we let our kids do is decorate their rooms for the holidays. Oh, and really? That's a very creative that's art great. thing. Give them a little tiny miniature Christmas tree and yeah. let them make their own decorations and whatever. You know, so like, kids want to light up their room with all the Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let them decorate the room up. Um, now, parents, some of you are saying, "I don't want to do this because this makes my house messy." It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it makes it messy. Yeah, I do realize that, but it activates your, the brain um, and makes your kids. What do you want in life? Think of the big picture. Right now, yeah, a little mess. I also say, you know what? If you make the mess, you help clean up the mess. Right. Why not say, "Well, it's not up to you, parent, to clean it up," but the, the child sure. helps sure. with. And I like to contain the mess as well. So, so we're, we're going to do like an art project. I'll spread out um, an old um, plastic tablecloth yeah and it goes on that yeah and then when we clean up we just fold up the tablecloth take outside and hose it down so that it's contained right you know it seems like a lot of times we think yeah i used to do pumpkins with my kids when they were younger but i found it's probably it's more fun to do it when they're older because they really can do a lot more on their own and then you create a pretty fun vibe of a little competition with the boys mm-hmm. and Creativity comes yeah. out. Yeah, and maybe a slice finger or so. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah. I mean, what's a stitch? <laughs> a stitch in time. Yeah, but for little ones, I like to also put out like a cookie sheet. Yeah. And, and the mess goes in there. It's easy to pick mm. up, move it over the, the, the kitchen, and then just, you know, rinse Throw it, it off. Throw it at each yeah. other. Well, rinse it off. It's easier to contain the mess. I, I used to teach kindergarten, and I had a parent once, uh, one time, the child couldn't even hold a pencil. She'd never had the dexterity. Um, and, and when it was time to Play-Doh, um, he sa- I said, do you do a Play-Doh at home? Oh, no, we don't do Play-Doh. That's too messy. And so the child really had no – Never had ne- used had their inst- hands. Never used their hands. Um, that, what a sad thing. That child's so behind missing. and missing out. So keep it contained. If that's if that's a, a messy thing for you, you can easily transport that cookie sheet or whatever yeah. to this kitchen sink and then rinse it off. And then change the venue. Sometimes do it in the bathtub. Give them some stuff yeah. to you know squirt in the bathtub and make that all We had fun. a lady make that a brisket f- in the bathtub the other day and burn her house down. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Be careful like, with that. Or like Ben, our old guy yeah. here. He made – Ice, ice cream, cream in ice the cream bathtub. bathtub. Do you remember? Those yes. Were the days. Yeah. Or the back fence. You, you clip paper on the back fence, big poster paper, and let them, you know, paint on that. Um, use that as their easel. Mm. Um, there's so many different ways that you can change the venue. In the end, um, as we wrap it up, what's what would you say is the one thing to remember about art and their children? Well, uh, parents, it's never too late and it's never too young. Um, and I'd say start as young as you can and keep it going. And even though they might protest. Take them there. You know, make it a tradition. We we buy season tickets to the theater, yeah. and that's part of their birthday presents. We make it a tradition. We go to the symphonies. The summer the summer free concerts in the park. I love those. Even though they yeah. may not go, bring snacks, you know? Yeah. Make, Hang out. Entice make it a them. party. Make bring it a party. your kids back home to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't expose them young, it's going to be like giving lobster, you know, mm-hmm. and shrimp to a 16-year-old who's never seen the sea. You've got to start this? young, get yeah. their palate starting to taste it young. And get exposed to it. Julie K. Nelson's her name. A Spoonful of Parenting is her game, as well as art this week with your children. Go check out her website, aspoonfulofparenting.com. And folks, go take some of the advice. Find out how to do it. If you're a grandparent, involve your grandkids. And parents, involve your kids of all ages. Get arts into their lives. Thanks, Jules. Hey, great to be here. And good to meet your six foot eight brother. We'll take a break. Come back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. 
I throw in a biscuit and a big old cookie. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little KFC music for you today uh, because we're setting up our good friends at BYU Sports Nation for a brand new launch of sunscreen. And, uh, you know, we we're trying to get the perfect song for it, but it just collapsed. Anyway, let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. That Hello, Governor. That didn't go as planned, did it? No, it's it's uh, it was a really good KFC um, song that we wanted from Kentucky Fried Chicken. But here's the deal. I love me some Kentucky Fried Chicken, man. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel. Good to have you on the show. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just won the prize. You got fortnightly uh, into the script. Ad lib. One of the hardest <laughs> phrases to get into the script. So here's the deal: if you are courageous, guys, you can slather on your body parts KFC fried chicken scented sunscreen. Because KFC is making three thousand bottles of SPF thirty extra crispy sunscreen available online August twenty second. I can't wait. How much? So yesterday? Uh, it's free. You can order a bottle for free by visiting extracrispysunscreen.com. <laughs> now, the obvious question to the whole story is why? <laughs> As why? it generally is with the things that you bring up. <laughs> mommy, why? <laughs> mommy, the dogs won't leave me alone, Mommy. <laughs> yeah, you wearing your sunscreen? Why does somebody want to smell like Kentucky Fried Chicken, guys? I just keep thinking about the song we used to sing in elementary. What? Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pizza Hut, McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck is this song you learned? Wow. You never sang that? Clinton. No. Clinton Cougars. Hold on. Clinton Cougars. (laughs) Yeah. Were you raised in Clinton, Utah? I was. Spencer Linton from Clinton. Did you know what? I came going from West Jordan. I just spoke in Clinton yesterday. to last no, well, last Thursday, I what did. In the world, you did. I spoke little. It, it, I spoke in Clinton, Utah, to a large church group. You could have. You could have been like, listen. I know the pride and joy of Clinton. <laughs> I know the Spencer guy. Spencer Linton, and then it's like. <laughs> Spencer, who? Listen, I know there are a the bunch guy, of Utah fans up there, man. The guy that put the Linton in Clinton. I know. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, by the way, a sad uh, announcement. The KFC chicken-scented sunscreen is sold out. Already? Oh, come on. Yeah, we, we mentioned it earlier in the show, and I think it just uh, there was a huge rush to get to the chicken. You know what's funny? Kentucky Fried Chicken honestly sounds delicious to me right now. Uh, right? Just a big, juicy yeah. bite. Ah. Uh. I love bucket the, of chicken, that greasy, unhealthy skin on that chicken. I do it's too. Delicious, so you, good. You so know what else I like to do is rub it on my body as a sunscreen. <laughs> Wasn't the first KFC in Salt Lake? I've always I heard believe that, it that was makes no sense. I think it was the first corporate yeah. KFC. Yeah, I think. It, I guess it does make sense that you wouldn't have um, that in your own state because you wouldn't name it. With no, the state on right. It. You had to leave like you the state. Be like Utah's barbecue. <laughs> you just be like barbecue. It's not in Utah, yeah, right? That's exactly Kentucky. <laughs> it was fried. in Murray, right? That's right. Yeah, it, it was, was yeah, it was in Murray, Salt Lake, uh, on State Street. I'm yeah. thinking of the Water Boy now with the professor in his classroom that looks like Colonel <laughs> Sanders. <laughs> well, Mama's wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> no corner Sanders, you're wrong. Blangata. <laughs> what is it? The medulla oblongata. <laughs> did you learn to talk like uh, Water Boy and Clinton? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Mr. Coach Klein said I could. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good. Hey, what's you got, you're still doing your show though, right? Oh, of course we are. What uh, you're not going to talk about the Cougars, are you? No, it's a, it's a vote for BYU to the Big 12 in 2016 type of day. <laughs> this is our Twitter question today, which is fantastic. What would you rather have for BYU athletics more than a Big 12 invite? <laughs> the responses have been oh, outstanding. Wow. I have been, look this and, up. And we put out a poll question as well, so a, a hard uh, answer. You can, you can say a national championship. What were the other options? I can't remember. Final four and a New Year's yeah. Six bowl game. I have – okay, the <laughs> – I have a very different response than all, like the majority of the fans, like 73%. So I'm going to share that coming up in five minutes. Oh, this is exciting. The responses are fire emoji times 10. Mm. <laughs> Blaine Fowler will join us. Brian Jeffries, Arizona football play-by-play will join us. They have a quarterback controversy as well. They're splitting reps with guys, and they have a whole new defensive staff. So they have a, they have a, we'll a, a camp-wide that. controversy at the University of Arizona. And Rachel Boaz, the goalkeeper for... BYU women's soccer, they lost last night at home, snapping the nation's longest home win streak, and they prepare for second-ranked Penn State coming up Friday. Yeah, how do you bounce back for that? So she'll join us. This is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, as always, I'm not acting surprised. You guys are always good. I just saw the feed that you just shot, Jerem, wearing your striped shirt. Yeah. You shaved your stash. Yeah. One thing you might want to do next time is put makeup on your right ear lobe. Because there's a, there's a little sheen on it, and it looks like you've got an earring. Just or like, do I? Or do you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody contact HR. <laughs> what? No, you there's guys like are good. There's like 15 people in the room. It's Someone a great show. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I'm going to leave uh, you, Spencer, and uh, you, Colonel. I'll leave you both <laughs> uh, to go get ready for your show. And Thanks, to- man. We've got to get ready for BYU Sports Nation Bucket of Chicken. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel. Um, And uh, have a great show, both of you. Thanks. Good luck. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, you know what? I do. We're going to play. We've got to get it ready. Are you ready to go with it? We've got some really powerful information for you. We've got the promo for the sunscreen. The KFC's new fried chicken scented sunscreen. Here's the promo for it. Tired of messy sunscreen? Sick of that awful lotion odor? Do you want to smell like fried chicken? Yes. But you're just not hungry. Introducing the KFC Extra Crispy Sunscreen. A real limited edition product that we are giving away for free. It works just like regular sunscreen, but it smells like fried chicken. Mm. I'm a lot more popular now. I smell 10 years younger. Get a whiff of this stuff. My Extra Crispy sunscreen doesn't just keep you smelling great. It keeps you feeling delicious. (laughs) Extra Crispy Delicious. KFC Extra Crispy Sunscreen. It's real and also do not eat it. Smells like chicken, tastes like sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Get your Extra Crispy Sunscreen now for free. It's definitely... That is great. (laughs) You know, there's something about sunscreen that says extra crispy that just doesn't seem right. Mmm. Extra crispy.
<laughs> I guess everyone in the promo looks orange. Oh, man alive. We got to play that one more. Extra crispy. Smells like chicken, tastes like sunscreen. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's funny. Hey, out of Fresno, California, crazy story for you. Authorities say three runaways used a large tractor to smash through the wall of a California school building. What? Can you believe this? Drive a tractor through the wall of the building. Then they went inside and stole sodas and portable radios. Officers responding to the scene say that they saw the three juveniles running from the area and quickly detained them. All three were runaways from a nearby group home. Police found a tractor from a construction site in the area that was used to drive through one side of one of the buildings. The station reports the suspects then stole sodas radios. Come on! You don't destroy a building for a soda. What is going on with the youth today? Have you ever had Cherry Coke? (laughs) What's amazing is that they could even get the whole thing started. How did they get the tractor started and they could drive it, but they weren't smart enough to get something more than a drink? Come on! Anyway, as we wrap up the show, you know, we like to... um, We like to tell the hero story. One Texas teacher was searching for a good Samaritan who bought all of her school supplies while she was checking out at Walmart in San Antonio. His name is Lester Brown. It's the right thing to do. It's what God said to do, and it's that simple, Brown said. What seemed to be a simple gesture from Brown turned into a viral phenomenon. The teacher he helped is a seventh-grade teacher, Sabrina Drood, who was buying spiral notebooks for her students at Scobie Middle School. Brown was in line right behind her. I remember I had a $100 bill with the intention of responding to something in need, and God said, respond. Brown paid $97 for the supplies for the school teacher. This teacher says he inspired me and uh, became my new hero. Folks, that's what you do to be a hero. You don't have to do something brave. Sometimes it's just giving what you can when you can. That's the show. We're here to inspire you and help you see the good in the world. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer and stronger. Until tomorrow, make it a great one.